episode number 43. Wait a second. Yes. You're not Jason D. Hamilton. I am not Jason D. I wish I could what play did, hoops like him. What did you do? What did you do with Jay? Who are you? And what did you do with Jason D. Hamilton? He's uh, duct taped in the garage. So <laughs> who let you in? That's a great question. Who are you? Tell everybody. You look familiar to me. Hello, you everybody. look a little older than I remember. Yeah, you. That's nice. Thank you so much. How old are how, how old are you? Uh, really? Yeah. Um, Can we start right there? I'm somewhere between forty and fifty. I'm right in the middle. Forty. Really? Yeah. I know. I didn't realize that we are that close. We're kind of we're closer in age than Jason D. Hamilton and I are. Is he younger than me? Yeah, he's younger than you are. I think you and I are seven years. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because I went to your third. Well, we can get into all that. Yeah, people don't know who you are. You they are don't. Scott Soden. That is my name. Yes. Otherwise known as Hotshot Scott. And who gave you that? That's right. <laughs> uh, Brian Wheeler, as a matter of fact. Oh <laughs> crap. That's not true. You gave it to me, but Brian sort of perpetuated it. One day I just became that. Yeah. I didn't want it. I hated it. Yeah. I still hate it. And you know where you do you know where you got it? I think I know. So yeah. I think you went to college with a guy who did a radio show, but I think this he guy was a DJ. And he called himself Hotshot Scotty Burke or something. But I think he's a big shot in Hollywood. Oh, I don't know. Is I think he? he's like a movie producer now. <laughs> I don't know. No, <laughs> so I, don't I want to ride so. his coattails. No, I, I don't think so. Oh, really? So I came. I came to town. There was a guy named Scott, and so I I gave a look. <laughs> I want to tell. I'm pointing Fingers at you. We haven't even started the show yet. This is Scott Stone. You're going to tell everybody who you are. Yes. Because you're kind of a blast from the past. Correct. You kind of were with me when I started mm -hmm. here, and yep. now you're with me when I'm finished. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I left you so, alone in the middle. So, but before you tell everybody who you are, because I'm not sure that I exactly remember okay. having a little senility. Sure. Um, I gave a lot of people nicknames. Yes. If if I when I go in the ground and people remember, <laughs> they remember my my fall, my disaster, mm -hmm. my throwing up all over myself, yep. my comeback when I started, Gabriella Sabatini in a wet t-shirt, right, the right. bigger dance, the spank, you know, the, the, the Sue Bird yep, thing, yep. my interview, whatever it is, it, you know, it's going to be this smorgasbord of, of all things over 25 years. Yeah. What I'm most proud of, as I point my finger, yeah. I gave a lot of nicknames. Want to go through a few? I know two. You only know two? Yeah. Well, no, actually, I know three. Now that Which I ones do it. you know? I know Hotshot Scott, which Hot would be Hotshot Scotty, yeah. Uh, the Fish. The Fish. You know how he got the name The Fish? I, I think I he remember. He didn't like that too much. No. So I think what happened was he filled in for you one day. You were out of town. That's right. And then a caller called up the next day and said, that show is about as exciting as a fishing show. So you kept calling him the fisherman. And I called him the fisherman. Yeah. And at one point he said, if you call it to me one more time, I'm going to sock you in the nose. <laughs> That's what he said. I don't and this knows, believe him. This, this knows. Uh, how could he miss? No, you can't. Yeah, you, right. you could, Ray Charles could hit me. Um, but and I remember. He's, uh, and then his whole career. Well, he's, he was the fish. He ran with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. But he was going to sock me in the nose. Okay, who else do you remember? Uh, Wink. I forgot about Oh, Wink. did you? Yeah, well, yeah. We worked together. He was the producer. Yes. I worked with him later. Jimmy Shapiro. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was the producer for the other and show. And why did I call him Wink? Well, he had this, he still does, has this weird, like, twitch when he, well, when he, he kind of yeah. winks at you, yeah, like George Costanza in the famous Seinfeld episode. And I can't tell if it's when he's lying or if it's random. I can't tell. No, no, it's, it's not when he's lying. It just, it's just, it's just he, random. He's Wink. Okay. Yeah, right. he wants to make sure that the nickname applies. So he winks at <laughs> you. That, he goes out of when, his way. Yeah, yeah. So the old George Costanza Seinfeld. But there's more than that. Go ahead. I'm sure there are. But I have to tell you, I hated my nickname. I thought it was awful. Well, because Didn't it, you stay with your nickname I through did. through the uh, the next FM radio morning show, didn't you? I stayed with it, yes. Because it's like people kind of knew me a little bit. And, That's and Hotshot Scott. You kind of started it as a joke. Like, Hotshot Scott, hey, you know, kind of like making fun. I don't think it was a joke. 
<laughs> You're dead serious. <laughs> but it sounds like I gave it to myself. <laughs> so it's like the most blowhardy thing ever. It's like the worst it's like the worst uh, 1982 <laughs> nickname for a DJ, you know. It's awful. I hated it. But I kept All it. All right. So there's Hotshot Scott. I own hotshotscott.com. There's fish. There's wink. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Schwitzy. I may, I you know, Schwitzy is a Yiddish word for sweating. Yeah, yeah. There was a guy that used to produce for me and sweat. He sweat all the time, so I call him Schwitzy. Alan, Alan Lamb, his name was. Oh, Alan Lamb. Okay. I think it was Alan Lamb. Um, yeah, another sweaty and too. then and then we had stretch, stretch. i gave oh, yeah. stretch that's right. matt stretch johnson big star now right yeah huge star yeah. huge soccer play-by-play i gave him the nickname stretch you did yes because he um, looked like from the guy from all stretch the cunningham yeah, yeah you know the funny guy yeah, yeah. stretch cunningham <laughs> uh he does look like stretch Cun- yes. he still looks like stretch cunningham yeah. um i think there were some others that will come to me at some point but that's what i want okay here he lies <laughs> here he lies yep. Uh, is it lies or lays? Here he lays. Here he lies. Um, you know. The master of the nickname. The master of the nickname. Yeah. So I pe- actually played poker with you, or not po- uh, blackjack with you one time in Vegas, and you give nicknames to all the people at the table <laughs> and to the dealer who they look like. So uh, you do That's love doing true. that. That's not true. Absolutely true. And you nailed. One guy looked like Hot Rod Hunley. Remember yeah. Hot Rod Hunley? <laughs> and you wouldn't leave Rod. him alone. <laughs> Kept calling him Hot Rod. Did he know why I was No, he had no idea. He was getting agitated and he left. But you do love giving nicknames to okay. people. All right. I don't remember that. See, you remember a lot more. All right. So for our people, before we start the show, this is Hot Shot Scott. Yes. Jason Hamilton is off on some uh, on some vacation at an island, a deserted island with Gilligan, the Skipper, okay. and, and Marianne. Um Tell everybody, how, were you there at the very beginning of Mitch? So, so because you're going to remind me too, because okay. there, there were a lot of you guys. Yeah, <laughs> why was that? Uh, I don't want to get into that right now. There were there were a lot. The yes, guys there came were. in. Well, I'd like to. Here's so. You want the real reason why there were a lot of guys well, like you, or do you, or do you want the <laughs> fake reason? You want the reason I give? I want the real reason, but let's make a distinction that uh, I ran the board for you. I wasn't really your producer, so there is a distinction. And I'm the one that left, so you didn't. You, you and I were cool. It right. was the producers that that was. The I like story. to say that all these producers and board ops <laughs> left mm-hmm. because they went on to big careers. Uh, they uh, we they were like spinoffs. They were like the gotcha. Jeffersons from All in the Family. Sure. Okay. So I take full credit yeah. for all the su- any success that any producer or engineer on our show ever had in the future, no matter what the field, mm-hmm. even if they won the lottery. Yeah, I'm taking full. Credit now the ones that ended up in an alley, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't I had nothing to do with that. Well, so. today's your lucky day because I brought them all here. Yes, so I'm sure you have. Yeah, 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 come on in. <laughs> so, so tell, tell, tell me the story of when you you didn't start right at the beginning. Did so, you? when did you start at KJR in the midday? Do you remember? Was it ninety four? Yeah, it was January fifteenth, ninety five. Oh no, nineteen ninety five. I yeah. came for my audition in December. Okay. And then I, I got the job, and I started, I think, January, I want to say January 15th or 10th or 13th, okay. 1995. So I, I interned at KJR in June of 95. So you'd been on for six months, maybe. And the Fish, the guy we spoke earlier, he said, you want to get a job in radio, learn how to run that board. That was like his advice to me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. So I, I was dying to work And you at, were how old at the time? At 21. All right. And Jeff thought I was 22 and at right. UW, but I wasn't. Right. Uh, <laughs> I was at BCC. I was at community college. I just lied. Okay. So he said, learn to run that board. So I went in there and got trained by a guy named Terry Reed. He was like the best oh, in the... yeah. Oh, yeah. He oh, yeah. was like... The, the, he was the best in the oh, building. Yeah. yeah. He trained me up and uh, I started working on Mitch in the Midday. I started running the board a couple days a week for your show because we had the Sonics at night. So Terry would have to work through the... So- and it was just too long for him. So on Sonic game days, they would... 
they would have me run the board for your show. That's kind of how I got my start. I see. They let Terry come in a little bit later because, you know, postgame would go to like 11. So that's how I started. And then uh, we just kind of hit it off because I would play back stuff and I would like, you know, put burn some calories. We got along tur- good, right? Totally. Yeah. No, was I, I too tough on you? Was I, was I me, hard no. on you? No. I never had any problems, honestly. Maybe because I was bigger than you. I don't know why you left me alone, but it, it always seemed to work out. I Everybody's know. bigger than me. It's <laughs> true. And the only Wink guy wasn't. Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe that's why you hired him. <laughs> uh, by the way, what, I was running the board for your show, and Terry was behind watching me, and something happened, and you got mad, and I didn't have something pot. It was my fault. And I remember you said on the air, you said, oh, we've got a bunch of idiots working around here. <laughs> and you remember what Terry looked like? Oh, yeah. Uh, 6'3", yeah. 290. Yeah. And you went to plus, break. Plus a piano. <laughs> right. 290 plus a piano. You went to a break, and he met you right outside the door. Really? And he was hot. <laughs> and the whole time, like, when you're on the air, after you said it, I, could, I you remember in Bugs Bunny when the steam would come out of the nose? Yeah. I could, I could hear him breathing. Uh, you're not going to call me an idiot. You're not going to call me an idiot. Oh, <laughs> you're geez. like a young guy. Did I apologize? Of course. Yeah, okay, you were. Right. Yeah. It was just yeah. like a throwaway nothing. Right. I took it as nothing. Okay. Oh, you got so You remember mad. that. That's 1995. Totally All right, so, yeah. so you took over the board opportunity. And who was the producer at the time? Uh, I might have been C.J. Silas, maybe. C.J., we've already done. We've already had the C.J. report. We've already talked about C.J. in right? Chicago. So, you, this, so, so tell everybody, you weren't on the show for very long. Yeah, so. Because you went on to bigger, You yeah, as I said, I sent you into show business. You right? did. Yeah. You did, actually. Yeah. Um, so I was running the board, but then you got the morning gig. And you came to me and said, hey, do you want to move to mornings? I can get you a full-time job. So that, that's how that happened. Because I was just doing Sonic game days. So maybe twice a week. So you were on the board when we did mornings? Yeah. The very first morning show. I thought I went to mornings on the AM when Rob Tepper nope. went to the mornings nope. on the FM. That's not Absolutely true? Absolutely not. Okay. I remember it because I was like, how am I ever going to get up at 530? I was 21. Yeah. Like five, I mean, you were a young guy. You're 28. Yeah. yeah. And you remember, you didn't even drink coffee, which no, of no. all the things to be remembered for, that should go on your gravestone. I did a morning coffee. show without yeah. coffee. I never like, a coffee. Never. Never. Not one. Not one. Not you one in get, 22 uh, years. You'd get chocolate milk I'd get something. a milk. Yeah. 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 yeah milk. And yeah. then you'd try to sleep during the breaks up on the <laughs> counter. You'd crawl up there and walk in. You'd be trying to catch three minutes. Because we were just young t- guys in our 20s and yeah. we're up at five o'clock in the morning trying yeah. to make people laugh. I remember. Yeah, I remember. So I was there for the very first morning show. You were? Yes. For how long after that? So I think that was maybe a year and a half, and then um, you were there for a year and a half after I started the mornings. Yep, really? Yeah, because I, I I wanted to play football really badly. Still, I was twenty three, so I went to PLU Pacific Lutheran. I got in. I worked. I was taking classes at night. I got in. Football didn't really work out, and I remember you actually called me in my dorm and said, "Hey, do you want to come back?" And I, was I like, did. I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'm in." Yeah, because I was taking radio classes, but I'd already worked in radio two years, and it's like, why don't I just go do what I want to do? Okay. So then I okay. came back for like okay. a year or two, and then you went to the mornings on Cube. Yes, on right? Cube ninety three yes. with Rob Tepper, yeah. who had come to the AM radio station, our station. Mm-hmm. He was doing nights. That's right. He was doing nights. Oh, pretty good lineup in 95. I don't know. I always thought that we started the same time on, on the morning shows, but you're saying, no, that's not the truth. Yeah. He, uh, oh, well, he may have started on the mornings, but I didn't. I wasn't with him I on day one. Maybe I that's. See. And then how many years did you, what were you for him? Board op, producer, everything well, on air, sidekick. What, what, what were you for him? So he had a guy kind of running the board for him. Yeah. And, and so I was, I, and he left, which was like, great. <laughs> Thanks. I'll always love him for leaving, yeah. for giving me a job for 10 years. Um, so he said, you want to run the board? And I was like, sure. So I just sat there. And then one day he's like, well, I'm going to turn your mic on. Let's just, you, you can say whatever you want. Just go. It'll, it's fine. So I'd make him laugh off the air, whatever. He, yeah. he sort of felt I could do it. So I started as a board op, but then at the end I just had an open mic. I was just like a third voice. For and for how long? 10 years. It's a long time, isn't it? 10 years? 
10 I, years. I just like. So that show went for 10 or 12 years, something um, like that? He started, I want to say, in 96. The T Man. Yeah, the T Man started in 96, and then we left in 09, so 13 years, I think. 13 years. I think the and then what happened? 12, right? and, then, and then what happened to you? So after, so six months after I left the T-Man show, uh, Gas called me and said, hey, I think Graz is going to leave. Graz was his partner at the time. Gas was doing three to seven on KJR. Yeah. And he said, I've always, you know, kind of wanted to work with you and kind of have a fun show. And do you have any interest? And I was like, again, thank you, Graz, for leaving. Of course I want to go work with Gas because I've known him as long as I've known you since 95. Love the guy. So I did uh, about almost two years with Gas from three to seven on KJR. Yep. And that, and was, that, my, that was my last full-time was, gig So 2012? 2012, yep. Got shown the and, door, and then and now what do you do? Now you you have a family. I have a family. Yes, uh, you work you work a real job. I, unfortunately, I have a real job with civilians. It's awful. <laughs> don't, don't do it. <laughs> God, we had it good for a while, didn't we? It's uh, terrible. Oh man. So yeah, I have a I have a legit civilian job. I and you miss that. this. Oh, totally. You've told me totally like ever it. since I started. You like called me and had had, had yeah. coffee with us, even yeah. though I don't. I don't drink coffee but um we talked and you said anytime anytime yeah, you, are, you you miss the microphone it's weird some people either have a need to be heard or they don't my wife doesn't have a need to be heard she's not on facebook would never want to do this i myself i love it i love talking on a mic love it really like just having conversation trying to make really? people laugh I love now it. can two people get along that both want to be heard let's <laughs> say she let's say she wanted to be heard yeah, i couldn't last 10 minutes yeah, with her yeah. i couldn't last 10 minutes with me with a female me no there's only room in this house for one blow hard loud mouth oh. i'm the only one all right well it's good to have you i love being here thank you for it's inviting good me. to have you on episode 43 this By is the way, hot my high school Scott. football number 43 i have to mention that Really? It's my favorite number. Leonard Weaver. 40, yeah, sure. Leonard Weaver, yes. We're gonna ha- we'll get there. Episode 43. It's not Jason D. It's Hot Shot Scott from my past. That's right. Your past. We're, we're digging up people from my past. And by the way, we did work in the same building, so we'd, I, you know, we'd see each other. It oh, wasn't sure. like I hadn't seen you in 15 years. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. yeah. Fantasy Golf League. Are you league. familiar with Mitch Unfiltered before we start the show? And I, I know I, this is like an old George Carlin bit. Mm-hmm. George Carlin, I saw him once in Las Vegas before he passed away. And the show that I started that I saw, he started the show by saying, before I begin, and he would tell a few jokes and mm-hmm. tell a few stories, about two hours later, he was still saying, okay, before we start the show. Okay. <laughs> and he never, he never started oh, the Oh, really? Show. So this is kind of my ode gotcha. to George Carlin. We, we've now gone for, I don't know, 10 minutes. We have not started the show. Oh, great. Okay. We have not officially started the show. Are you familiar with Mitch Unfiltered, I the am. podcast. I am familiar, yes. How familiar are you? Do you are you, gonna, are you I, ready for a, an SAT, a quiz, an ACT? What do you want? I'm not ready for a quiz, but I feel like I'd do like I did in high school. I'd be at like a C- minus, as far as my <laughs> familiarity. I feel like that's where I'm at. <laughs> sure, I try to. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts. I try to listen to yours when I can. I've heard about, I heard the last couple. So yeah, oh, heard, you did? Yeah, I've heard a lot. Did you hear Stephen Elliott? Oh, I did. I did. I was a little heavy, but I- uh, Too heavy for the podcast? I don't think so. I think, it, I think he needs to be heard. I think it could help a lot of people. And it, it is weird because you even brought it up. Like, you know, you hear about the Pat Tillman story, but you never thought about, well, who was the one that actually did it? I have, my head just never went there either. Maybe I didn't want to think about it. Yeah. And to hear, like, the ups and the downs and what he went through, I'm so, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't listened, but people should go listen to this. It's interesting because you just said that, and I was thinking before we started, how many people are listening to this episode 43 that haven't heard 42? Yeah, who knows? It's probably a small percentage. Okay. But... I would just say that I have been doing interviews in Seattle anyway for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did multiple interviews every morning show for 25 years. Now I was on vacation for about 12 weeks a year, but uh, 
Uh, we did lots of interviews over 25 years. Yeah. And I was sitting back after I had the opportunity to speak, the privilege to speak with, uh, with Stephen. I was thinking back to how many interviews that I recall that I felt like not only proud about, but I felt like important. Like I just did, I didn't do a silly sports interview. Yeah. I did something that like has a redeeming quality. Now there's people that will yell at the podcast and say, Everything you do has a redeeming quality because it helped us through our days, helped us through our mornings. It, it, it you know, these things challenged us. They, we enjoyed it. It, yeah. it. Just because it wasn't newsworthy doesn't necessarily mean it didn't have any redeeming quality. Sure, if they I get for all 10 that. Minutes, like, yeah. I get all that. But I never, almost never, got off the radio and thought that is one that I'm going to mm. remember and that I'm proud of and that I want people to hear. Yeah. That I really, really want people. This one was one of those. Do you feel like you nailed it? That's why you're so proud, or the subject matter, or both? Well, I don't get into you're the probably whole tough nail. on yourself. I don't. I, mean. I, I don't. I don't get into that. Okay, but I'll I mean, let other people decide. Do you that. wish you could do it again? No. Okay. Well, no. that that's what I want. No, to know. one time is enough. You felt like you did a, a great, I, a I good th- job. I think I did a fine job. Okay. I'll let other people decide. But the, the, the that's not where I was going. Where sure. I was going is his message. The message. Yeah, I know. It's and amazing. As somebody who has struggled. And we all know people who are struggling. We all know people who you don't know are struggling yeah. privately. As somebody who has struggled from far different and stupid reasons than he did, I, I don't compare myself to yeah, him. Yeah, and you did that on the interview, too. You were careful to I, not I, compare I don't want to do that, right, right. but, but um, just the idea of what our veterans live with. Yeah. I love the, the subtitle of his book is, you know, sometimes the battle begins after the war ends. Right. You know, yeah. After they come home right. and they have to live with those those images and those memories and the yeah. things they saw and the things they did, in his case, the things they did, and not being able to live the rest of your I mean, that's hard. These people are young men that's and right. women with the rest of their lives, and we ask them to... We ask them to volunteer. There's there's no draft. Right. We ask them to volunteer to go protect us, and then they come home and they've got the rest of their lives. And I feel, after listening to him and others... We're responsible. Yeah. On some level, we we're, we, we got to help these. We got to whatever our help, whatever we're doing, whatever assistance we're doing, it's not enough. It's not enough. No, it's not right. enough. Yep. These people went and and sacrificed their their mental health and their physical health and put their lives on the and can't really live the rest of their life because of the nightmares. We can't walk away from them now. Yeah. And so that just hit me in the face, and and I'm I'm ashamed to say. It has. I've, I've thought about it a lot over the years, but not like I thought about it right. when he was on that phone line. It's amazing. I mean, he, he was on that phone. Line. Think about what he's been through, what he survived, the bullets, the everything. You, you, you make it like you make it home safely after the odds are against you. And then the real torture has to begin for him. Right. Right. And that's crazy. To well, think for about. all of them and for him, I mean, the idea that he shot the, the he fired the bullet. Right. That took out an American hero, a guy who left the NFL, left millions and millions of dollars to go fight, and then dies over friendly fire. The most famous soldier at the time, probably, in this country. That's right. Yeah, I mean, right. not of all time, but at the, for sure at that time. We should really start the show. One thing because about- you uh, have a daughter. We <laughs> really- <laughs> That's true. She's probably we, in bed. We, we, we really should start the show. I have, I, just, I have to tell you that if one more person announces to me about how great you are at interviewing, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> I get it. He's a masterful interviewer. No, no. Stop it. No. But but just, it's the most overrated well, thing. Hold on a ever. second. Okay. I was thinking that myself. Like, okay, he's good. But then I heard the way you finessed yourself around this topic, and I thought you really did a masterful job, honestly. Okay, stop. 
I would, I'm going to kick you out. I would tell you if I thought it was like, eh, fair to Midland, you're okay. Yeah. And I tell my friends who love to tell me how great you are, like, he's good. I know. He's fine. <laughs> but truthfully, true, you did a truthfully a masterful job with this. Cause, very nice. Because you don't want to nice. say something that's maybe going to offend him. You don't want to suggest anything. And you just played it perfectly. So, hot nice shot. Job, hot yes. shot. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I said to Jim Abbott, do you know Jim Abbott? The one arm pitcher? On KJR. Okay. In the middle of a very intense interview about his life, yeah. you were dealt a bad hand. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Did he laugh? No. <laughs> I didn't say it. On, I, I, it slipped out. It was, yeah. it was not supposed to be funny. Yeah. And then a year later, I was in Phoenix on vacation with my family, yeah. and we're sitting next to Jim Is Abbott right? next to the pool, and my wife pleaded. I told her the story at that point. She had no idea. Yeah. I said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> There's like two things that I'll, I, I can't erase from my memory from the morning show. Yeah. And the two things are oh, Sean McDonough. Oh, geez. I hope you didn't want you to say that, but okay. Sean McDonough and Jim Abbott are Those probably are the, two. the two things. Wow. And then, well, 9-11. Uh, you guys were working in 9-11? No. We were off. You were off. Yeah, I was in Vegas. Actually. I was on the air during 9-11. Yeesh. Yeah, that's, and I, that's that rough. show. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so there's, All right, you've had your moments, but... There's plenty of the other side. <laughs> you do lots of interviews, so you can, you can have a few slip-ups. Thank you. Yeah. This is episode 43. He's my old buddy, Hot Shot Scott. I, I nicknamed him, and he, he, he always be Hot Shot Scott. Uh, we have three guests on episode 43 before we begin. I like to tease people. Okay. And I just want to say, and I know I do this every time, we're going to interview a couple of guys that were drafted in the Major League Baseball draft. And I'm insecure now about this because in our patron episode on Thursday, okay. Jason D. Hamilton, who was loopy on medication, yeah. just started blistering me over the Major League Baseball draft. Like, nobody cares. Why do you like it so much? Hmm. Yada, yada, yada. So now I've done... <laughs> you doubled down. I, 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 I've, done sti- I, you know, I, I've, I've done another Academy Award winning or a, a, some sort of a Soundy Award yeah, winning... Yeah. Uh, interview with a couple of guys, and I'm just going to say, especially the first interview, is a guy named Austin Shenton. Now, I don't expect anybody to know who Austin Shenton is. He was the fifth-round draft choice last week by the Mariners. Fifth round, out of like 60 rounds or whatever it is, okay? He's from Bellingham, Washington, and I'm not going to give away the story except to say that I promise you, I promise you, that you listen to this interview, you will not at the end think it was a ba- – it had really – it has nothing to do with baseball. Okay. It's the story of a courageous young man who's been delivered some obstacles along the way and has jumped them all and is now the fifth-round draft choice and he, of his local hometown team, Bellingham. Right. Bellingham to Seattle. Going to be a Mariner someday. So cool. Who, but an interest story. It has really – this interview has nothing to do – really nothing to do – a little bit to do with baseball. Okay. But it's his life story, and I love his life story. And you're going to fall in love with it. You're going to think the guy is 50 years old. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because he's had he's dealt with what a lot of stuff. Through. Was he? Uh, he's dealt with a lot of stuff. So was he a senior in high school? Or is he no, no, no. In he's college? three years out of co- he. He went to Bellevue Community College. Oh, is that for a right? Year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. For a year, but and it, I'm not going to tell you why. There was a reason he went. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So no, he's three years now out of he's out of college baseball. He was one of the great college players. And, yeah. And he's the fifth round draft choice. So Austin Shenton from Bellingham is going to be on. Uh, Phil Barber, the author and columnist from the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, the story of Mark Stevens. Do you know who Mark Stevens is? You don't know him by name, but you know his story. Okay. He is the the minority owner of oh, the Golden State yeah, Warriors. Of course, I know who Mark Stevens who, is. Who took a cheap shot. Wow. Just took a worth $2.3 billion, and Is he that took what a the cha- final fi- – oh, he's worth $2.3 But didn't he get fined half 
We'll talk okay, about right, it. We'll right, talk right, about it. Yeah, we'll get so now there. I know who he is. So I Phil Barber a week ago. So Phil Barber is this author columnist who wrote very clearly he should be forced to sell his stake in the Golden State. He should oh, no longer be an NBA owner. You take a shot, you take a cheap shot like that and put your hand on a on an NBA player yeah. as an owner, you don't belong as an owner anymore. Even though it, none of us want to be judged on our worst day, we right. all have bad days, but this has gone over the line. So we're going to have Phil Barber on this episode. And then you probably don't know this, maybe you do. The 16th pick in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft was actually a kid from Lakeside High, the oh, Lake, wow. Lakeside School. Move over Bill Gates. Move over Paul Allen. <laughs> Is that right? He was the 16th. A high school kid was the wow. 16th pick in the first round. His name is Corbin Carroll, and he is on episode 43 as well. Hamilton will love it. Okay? Yes. All righty. Episode 43 is brought to you in part by Daniel's Broiler. Father's Day is here. Father's Day on Sunday. Four spectacular locations from which to choose, including the brand spanking new downtown Seattle location in the Hyatt Regency. There's a brunch too. Take your dad, take your family to Daniel's for Father's Day. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Listen, I saw on Friday where 30-year fixed rates are now 3.8%, the lowest in two years. And I know for a fact that the majority of homeowners listening right now to this podcast can save hundreds of dollars, if not more, by refinancing. So to celebrate, I've got an offer for you. The first five people that call Jordan Flowers or anyone on his team at Guild Mortgage in Kirkland to just ask, what can I save? My name is Joe Schmo. What can I save on my mortgage? You send me an email to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and say that you called and asked, and I will send you a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr pronto. The phone number is 425-250-3150. The first five people to call and just ask what you can save of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. The Financial Times named them one of the top financial advisors in 2018. Offices in Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley. Get your U.S. Open pick in right now in the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call, sending the winner to Pebble Beach with me in like five weeks. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Zeke's Pizza, I've said it over and over again, the best pizza in the Northwest is Zeke's. The best pizza company and people making and serving pizza in the Northwest is Zeke's. And you can have it delivered to your door or sit down at one of their 17 locations from West Seattle to Issaquah, Bothell down to Tacoma. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Here we go. Episode 43 starts now. Unfiltered. All I'm telling you is there's 11 teams that are interested in him, 12 teams, and everybody wants him, and God knows somebody's going to overpay, and he'll probably end up getting a three-year deal or a four-year deal out of it. And what does he sign for? One year, $7 million on the low end, 10.25 on the high end. And I'm sitting here in the Seattle area as a fan of the Seahawks, knowing that they are desperate for interior linemen and that this guy could have made them a much better defense. And I'm just sitting here saying to myself, really? He's going to Carolina on a one-year deal between 7 and $10 million. And they're sitting here over there in Renton with a bag full of money under the cap. They could have 
easily done that. Unfiltered. I have been interviewing people for 25 years. I've been talking baseball for that amount of time, and I'm not sure I've ever asked the question that I'm going to ask you. So if you want to hang up the phone (laughs) after this question, I can't even believe I'm going to utter this question. He's got a 17.83 strikeouts to walk ratio at a time where four or five to one is unbelievable. He's 17.83 to one. He's got a 2.75 ERA. So here's the question that I don't think I've ever asked before. Does he throw too many strikes? Does he need to learn to not throw so many strikes? I can't even believe I'm asking that question. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 43 is now officially underway after that long tease section. I'm with Hot Shot Scott. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> Jason D. is off on an island somewhere. Uh, and my, my old friend who worked with me at the very beginning on KJR yep. back in 1995, we decided from like 95 to 96. Uh, well, it was weird. I took My a break, first but... morning show was 96. Okay. Because then... I came in to do the mid show in 95. I think I left in uh, like the fall of 99. So okay. I was there for right. about four years. Okay. Yep. All right. So you did the morning show. Did you have fun on the Mitch in the Morning Show? It was great. It was the great. I mean, when I got there, the Mariners had just finished up, right? That 95 run was amazing. Then but you in. had more fun with the team, man. You can say it. If, if you, did you have more well, fun with it? Now looking back upon it, how would you put the two shows in their proper perspective? It's not really about the show. It's that I had an open mic on the team man show every day. Did so, you not with us? No. I, I mean, you didn't care if I put my mic on, but it was you and Fish, and occasionally I'd say stuff. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were... A, so it's a little bit of a yeah. different role. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at the time, the show was... I mean, we were syndicated. It was... It didn't suck to be 28 years old on the T-Man show. I can tell you that. <laughs> it was... Uh, you want it? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was nice for the social life, and yeah. the money was yeah. nice. And you know, I mean, I'm talking yeah. crap for Did four your present-day wife... Did she w- listen to the T-Man show? Did she know you from the radio or not? So her, fr- a friend of hers listened every day, and they heard that I was single. Because we talk about my life. I broke up with my girlfriend. So, so she told her friend, my wife, you should listen. This guy sounds nice. You know, have a listen. See what you think. And so my wife started listening, thought I was funny. Her friend emails me, hey, I got this wow. single girl, the how whole thing. That? And at the time, I had a girlfriend. And, you know, we've all, in radio, you get emailed from strangers. Right. or You get con- right. and It's usually about a 50-50. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, nah, I think I'll pass on this one. And then my wife emailed me and said, I'm sorry, my friend did that. And then we started emailing. I thought she was funny. And so, yeah, there you go. And how is she with you? Do- does she know you're here to do the podcast? She does, yeah. Okay. Is she okay with that? Yeah, she's fine. Okay. She good. wants me to do this for a living, I think. I was cool when really? she met me. I mean, I, I should the, be talking into a quit mic. The, quit the real job and, and be on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Um, two announcements before, well, we've started now, but two announcements as we begin. U.S. Open picks are due uh, for the Unfiltered Majors Challenge. We're doing a, a long contest that, that ends up with one listener and a guest going with me to Pebble Beach next month to Great. play golf. And so the, the Pebble Beach, the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach mm-hmm. is this week. And I'm here to remind everybody, you got to get your picks in. It's all brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call. There are 23 tied for first place going into the third major. 23 people picked the right winner of the Masters and the PGA. 23 people have gone two for two. And I'm supposed to make a pick. But the two picks that I've made so far both missed the cut. So I'm, I'm saying to myself, <laughs> at the end of the show, maybe I'll make a pick as we finish episode 43. Right. But I'm reminding everybody, thanks to Evergreen Golf Call, 
you got to go make your picks. You have two or three days, depending on when you're listening to this, to make your pick. I also, used to, I used to torch that course on Tiger Woods Golf. Did you? Torch it. I know the dog leg left the on Pebble 18. Beach. Yeah, at Pebble Beach. Oh, yeah. it's not. Yeah. All right, it's fine. I'm not around an expert. the expert. <laughs> Jesus. The fact that I even know anything because I don't golf is shocking. <laughs> Can I have my moment? Doesn't you? it go left to par five yes, on 18? Thank it's you so much. There's right. a tree in the middle. All yes. Right, I appreciate it. Uh, Daniel's dinner is this Wednesday night. I've been pleading with people to come. I really. JM and I would prefer not to be the only ones there sitting. We see each other all the time. Yeah. We'd like for some other people to join us. We are now, we did this dinner uh, when we first started the the, the podcast, okay. and it sold out at Daniel's in like 10 hours. Oh, wow. That's great. And so the owner of Daniel's says to me, let's do this from time to time. So yeah. then we decided to do another one with bigger space, more room, and yeah. now nobody's coming. Come on. You yeah, know we've that. Been, no, we've been promoting it for like a month and a half. No one's coming. It's just Jay Ham and me. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you show up, you see a tumbleweed going through the lobby with a tumbleweed with a cricket on it going through the lobby. <laughs> just telling you. Uh, you can you can sign up. It's Wednesday night at 6.30. It's a great deal. We'll all be there doing Q&A, having fun. We, beer, wine, salmon, steaks, you know, sides, appetizers, desserts, parking, whatever. Everything is included. Uh, for one price, you go to MitchUnfiltered.com, and there's a banner across the top. You can still make your reservation to be with us on Wednesday night. Great. Okay. Um, so, have you ever been to the Issaquah Cafe? Do you know the old Issaquah Cafe? I'm from Issaquah, so I feel like I've been everywhere in Issaquah. I feel like that this cafe has been there for 100 years. Is it by QFC by yes. chance? Yes. Right to the side. Every of QFC. time we pull up, there's 30 people standing outside, so I never go to the Issaquah Cafe. Yes. I, I figured I'd lead off this segment, <laughs> which I, it's, I'm already batting fifth. I don't understand this. Um, <laughs> With a story that I told on Twitter, you may have seen this, from an experience that I had on Friday night at the Issaquah Cafe. A Friday afternoon, Friday day. So the you Issaquah you Cafe. went there for lunch? I went there for a late breakfast, early lunch. Gotcha, I was okay. by myself. Mm -hmm. My wife is out of town. The kids are at school. And I decide to go there, and there's this long wait. Yeah, always. And I sit down, as, as we all do, waiting for a table, <laughs> and I put my face in the phone. Okay, yeah. At which time, five or six minutes later, I get a tap on my shoulder. I look up. I'm like startled. Yeah. And there's this oldish man, I would say in his 80s, looking at me right next to me. Okay. He had sat down next to me. I didn't even know that he'd sat down next to me. And he says, young man, may I tell you a joke? Come on, really? Yes, yes. All right. And I said, sure, I'd love to hear a joke. And he, he proceeds to say, two farmers sitting on a bench... One farmer says to the other, I have a flock of cows with a very big problem. The second farmer says, herd of cows. At which time the first farmer says, of course I have. I got a flock of them with a very big problem. And he starts to laugh. Okay, fair enough. It's, <laughs> it's not bad. A it's a joke that a guy in his 80s would tell. Sure. And so I'm laughing with him and he's giggling and people are now looking up from their phones like, what's going on? Yeah. And he's, he's wearing a Seahawks cap. I've sent out a picture on Twitter and I decided to, to share that with my Twitter family and you and whoever's listening because it, it got me to thinking that I'm old enough and you are too probably to remember when you sat and waited either at a restaurant or in a waiting area at a doctor's office when there weren't cell phones. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. He was the only one <laughs> of the 20 or 25, 15, 12, 25, whatever it was, that didn't have their – he was the only one that wasn't – had his face, didn't have his face. And I said – and I, I'm just thinking to myself, what did we do? 
What did we do when we sat in those waiting areas without a tablet or a phone or a? Ma- I mean, you it didn't, sounds you didn't, awful. You didn't read a magazine <laughs> yeah. at a restaurant while you waited for a table. You'd, what did you do? You'd look for the sports page, but that was always gone. So, yeah. Well, but not at a t- not at a restaurant there, at a waiting there, area at a restaurant. There may be like a newspaper that people maybe, did, but you didn't do anything. Let me tell you what you did. I think. Okay. You talked to people. Yeah. I guess. People talk to people. Strangers talked to people. Human on human contact. It was okay to talk. <laughs> and, of course, I was the son of a guy who talked to everybody about everything, and he had oh, no he? He had no filter, and yeah. he would say anything to – if somebody you, – you, you ask me where I get naming people like they look like me, yeah. that's where I get it. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Somebody will walk in, he says, you, you look like Merv Griffin. <laughs> I don't know where I came. Yeah, I got you. He would just say that, and the guy would guy would look at look at him like, "Who's this man? Who's this big guy telling me I look like Merv?" Griffin? My father would say, "Hey, you look like Merv Griffin." And it, it wouldn't. It, the The point is, is that we talk, and now the thought, yeah, of talking to a stranger, a because you have something you got to do on your phone. Well, you have access to anything you want. Right. It's awesome. No one talks to stranger. No stranger stuff. It's like yeah. it's like taboo to talk to a stranger. Like it's is it unsafe to talk to a stranger? Is it? I don't think it's. Unsafe. Is it unclean to talk to a stranger? I, I think it. It might come off as why? What do you want from me? Why are you talking to me when you have a phone that you could look at? Because it's we're so used to it now. Maybe they think that they you're going to sell them Amway or something. There's like some kind of negative connotation to talking to a stranger. Well, this guy apparently doesn't think so, and he remembers, and he decided he tapped me. He didn't even get my eye. He tapped me on the shoulder. You imagine to what, get my attention. What he must think at eighty. Like, from what he's seen, all this technology, he just must feel like, I don't belong in 2019. He probably can't even fathom what everyone's and doing. And he called me things. young man, can I tell oh, you a joke? I'm sure you like that. I really did. Don't hear that every day, I, I do you? I really, really did. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Episode 43. So we typically name 43 after athletes or the numbers after athletes. People hate it. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Why this, would they this hate is, it? This is the most polarizing thing that we do, so I do it really fast okay. now. Because I don't want I don't want people who hate it to say, oh, my God. And they can hit a button to go ahead on a podcast, but they still they still hate. A lot of people hate this. Isn't it weird that people follow you on Twitter and they hate your guts? <laughs> like, why well, are you following me? Well, there's like? a lot to hate. <laughs> I mean, look at over here. It's the weirdest thing ever, Twitter. Best Seahawk that wore 43. Not Scott Sode. Not Hot Shot No, Scott. no, no. Leonard Weaver. Is he the best? He's the best. That's all I got. Gotcha. Jeff Nelson. Yeah, pitcher Nelly. wore 43 a couple of different times Yankees, for the Seattle Mariners. Yep. For the Seattle Mariners. Oh, twice uh, going for the through, Mariners. Yeah, yeah. Twice for the Mariners. Um, my guy, Jack Sigma. I was going to say, you can't forget him. 199. The Suns have not beaten the Sonics this year. They don't want to go into the playoffs 0-4 on them. Dish off, Sigma open man. Beautiful play by Freddie Brown that time. Now the Suns coming out. That's the problem with the trapping defense. Somebody's going to be open on the floor. You can't leave a big man open underneath. The greatest, the greatest 43, and my buddy. Uh, so I'm tempted to name the show after him. But then the the national stars. You've got Troy Palamalu who wore 43. Yeah. You've got Dennis Eckersley who wore 43, and you've got probably the greatest of the bunch. Even though I have no idea really his accomplishments because I don't follow it. Richard Petty mm. drove car 43, car 43. The king. Yeah, he is the king. The crowd cheers as Richard Petty and his number 43 Plymouth takes the checkered flag. Richard Petty rolls into the winner's circle as his father did five years ago. Yeah. What do you know? I don't know much, but I, I do work for a racing video game. Yeah. So I do know a little more about racing than I used to. Yes, he is beloved. So I've decided to narrow it down, and we'll go at the, on the last segment before we get out of here. 
Um, it'll be between Richard Petty, I've decided, and Jack Sigma. I feel like because you have a personal connection to the greatest perm of all time. <laughs> do you remember the perm? I do. Oh, wow. I do. Who gave I him do. that advice? Time has not been kind to that decision. Um, I think you have to go. I'll let you decide. It's your show. But I think Sigma, you kind of got to okay. go. Any local guy, uh, you know. And before, and before we get to the guests... Uh, the, the NBA Finals is going, and, and, and I don't know when people are going to listen to episode 43. If they're listening on Monday, then it could be over tonight. If you're listening on Tuesday to episode 43, it could be already over. And it's a, it's a very interesting series sports-wise, and I'm astonished like the rest that Golden State's running into a wall. Yeah. And from a sports perspective, it's, it's obviously very interesting, but I, I don't even want to go there. Okay. I, I want to talk about the two, the two subplots Jeez. to this story, and one of which – We'll just mention because we got a whole segment about it coming up on this That's episode. Right. Uh, but let's first start with your... I mean, you come from a, a music station background. Well, I can tell you that in 1997, the music director at the time named Julie Pilot was walking around these three, like, 15-year-old girls. And they, they were dressed. They had the makeup. They looked like they were in an ice skating competition. <laughs> And she goes, Hotshot, I want you to meet Destiny's Child oh. in 97. Oh. And I, I, my, my first thought was, oh, I feel so sorry. They're going to have one hit and they're going to be done. Because I've met so many artists. These, oh. They're going to be What happened to the other two? Uh, what happened to the children? The, the other two children. <laughs> the Destiny didn't work out so well. Yeah. There was four and then three. Oh, there was four. Yeah. Uh, but I just remember thinking like, oh, these guys are going to be one hit wonders and smash cut to the Did she stand music. out? Did Beyonce stand out amongst whoever was coming down the aisle? Yeah. When she, you, could you, I mean, did she stand out? She looked special. Yes. Then the she, other two. The other two just like, just looked like ordinary, yeah. nice women. Yeah. But it's this a, person kind of, there was a star, yes. a, an appeal to this woman. And she yes. was the one talking and kind of the leader, and but she was so young. So she's sitting there, and now I've watched this, you're going you're gonna to find out a little bit of my life now, I've watched it about 412 times. <laughs> okay. I, I'm pretty good at reading lips, mm -hmm. so I can actually see, I don't know if you've tried Wait, are this. Are you really good at reading yeah, lips? Yeah, I am. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I can't hear. Um, but 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 I've now read the. I can see clearly what the owner who leans across Beyonce with the stink eye when Beyonce gives her the stink eye. It was the owner's wife. Owner's wife. Okay. Not the not the owner that we're going to talk about right, next. That's confusing. Yes. Different. I I could see clearly. Okay. I'm. I can see clearly that the the owner's wife. It's hard. The the owner's wife's mouth's kind of away from the camera, but she says something about, "Do you want a drink or something?" And I could see Jay Z. He's waving to somebody else. They're waving across court to somebody else, and I see him say, "Yeah, vodka, vodka and soda." I see those. You can words. get that. I got. Oh, go back and look Amazing. at. Amazing. Now okay. that I've told you, he says, "Vodka, yeah, vodka and soda," and then you can see <laughs> the owner's wife actually say, "Do you want a lime?" And he says, yeah. How dare she? All while Beyonce is looking this woman like, yeah. get out of my space and stop talking to my guy. <laughs> okay? And I'm like, now, have you heard subsequently, this woman had to shut down her social media. She's getting death threats from Beyonce fans because she offered Jay-Z a lime. Right. <laughs> Beyonce, well, Beyonce's called the queen bee, and you know how the other bees protect the queen bee in the hive? Yeah. That's what her followers do. For, they harass this poor woman. What did the woman do? For offering up a line. Why, why was she so, uh, is she so insecure? I mean, I, I, I mean, well, we know insecure on this show. Um, but, is she so insecure that she didn't like her leaning over, offering him a drink? I'm sure she said in one of her 
one of her interviews, the owner's wife said, I offered Beyonce a drink too. She asked me for a water and then I asked and I couldn't hear. It was really loud. So I had to kind of move a little closer to hear what, what Jay-Z wanted. Yeah. And what Jay-Z wants, Jay-Z gets. Oh, yeah. He, he sure wanted does. a lime. <laughs> right. The guy wanted a lime. The, <laughs> a the lime. woman is getting death threats over a lime. I don't well, get this. Let's be fair to Beyonce. She doesn't control her followers, first of all, right? She didn't sick anybody on this woman, right? Okay. I mean, to I don't be, think well, she could be fair to her. But she could have diffused it. She could have sent out a tweet yeah. or something. Hey, That's she fair. was lovely. She, we were her guests. Yeah. She offered Jay-Z. I, if, if I made a face, I didn't mean it to come out. You know, she could have done something, but. I don't. I don't know that anybody's heard from Beyonce since. She's not exactly throwing this woman a life preserver. Right. You know, she's not throwing uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Hey. Hey. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and Win- uh, Kate Winslet. Uh, you know, uh, a lifesaver here. She's letting this woman kind of waffle. I guess she she had a problem. So I you just, don't mess with the Queen Bee. Apparently, it's crazy. I know her her fans and her followers just attacked this poor woman. For nothing. The woman's clearly not hitting on her husband because Beyonce's in the middle so. of I him. don't think so. No. I don't think so. The woman's Is husband. lime code for something we the, don't know the, about? The, the, <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's something I don't know. Yeah. Um, the Warriors are losing games hand over fist. Yeah. Her, she's there getting death threats for offering Jay-Z <laughs> a lime. Yeah. And down the, and down the row, the other minority owner who owns 8% of the team, he's worth $3 billion, just takes a shove. At a Toronto Raptor guard after he comes flying into the thing. Were you watching the game when that happened? I, I was not. You watched it I saw, Yeah, I watched it after. I happened to be watching it live. So you saw it? Yes. And, and the announcer said, uh, what was his name who was mad at uh, Lowry? Was it Lowry who got Yeah, shot? Kyle Lowry. Yeah, they yeah. said Kyle Lowry. He's mad at a fan because they didn't know at first that it was right, right. a part owner. Right. And th- so they showed the replay. And I was like, that fan, well, that was really rude. Why did he do that? But it was weird how the announcers sort of defended it. He said, well, you let someone fly into you at 100 miles an hour and see if you don't give a little shove. But he didn't actually hit the owner, right? No. He didn't come anywhere near he, him. So- he got, he, I think he hit the woman that was next. I think the woman next to the owner is the wife, but I'm not sure. She didn't seem all that. He just he just reached over, and apparently he gave him an FU, a couple of FUs. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And so... I don't want to get too far into this because we have a whole segment from a guy who knows a little bit about this guy and is is oh, has an opinion about whether he should still own a team. He was yeah, fined five he was worth two point three billion and he was fined five hundred thousand and told he can't come to the games for a year, something like that. So the question is, what becomes of this guy now? And I would just say this real quickly, because it is Mitch Unfeltered, so I'll say this real quickly. And you're gonna hear kind of a little bit of you're going to hear a little bit of internal strife for me during the interview because mm. – and this, this, this is probably a bigger conversation. When I decided to do the podcast after what I went through and the things that I did, uh, I worried about things like this because my perspective – what I would have done on the air with this story five years ago and the way I look at people who make mistakes now is a little bit different. Gotcha. And, different and, perspective. And I, I didn't ever want to lose my teeth. Right. But at the same time, uh, I just look at the world a little differently. And I say it all the time. And even Steve Phillips, an old guest, says it all, all the time. No one wants to be judged by their worst moment. Sure. Okay, we live a lifetime, hopefully, and there's good things, and we shouldn't be judged by our best moment. And it should the, be a compilation of everything that's involved. This is the worst time in the history of our society, by the way, to get judged on one thing. One I mean, thing. As we all know. One thing. You do one thing wrong on Twitter, right. your life's over. Right. So I have a little internal agita with this. 
but my biggest problem with this guy, and his name is, what I tell you his name? Stevens. His last name is Stevens. Yeah, was it Mark? I, I think it's Mark Stevens. Okay. Is, you know, it was just an unsolicited shove, an FU, and I, I, I don't know what the reason was. I would love to hear if he had a reason. I, and I asked this to the columnist, and you'll hear the answer. I mean, did he feel like, you know, sometimes guys go into the stands or they go in and they, they don't get themselves up real quick to kind of lay there a little bit yeah. and kind of rub it in, you yeah, know, yeah. like don't get up off the guy. So, so I don't know whether he, he was frustrated or whatever. Here's what I do know. The guy, you know, started his business. He's, he's, a, he's a self-made billionaire. He's made a lot of very, very philanthropic efforts. Uh, he's on the board of Harvard University. He's on the advisory board at Harvard wow. University. Smart guy. He not- signed the pledge of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. You know, they're going around the world right. looking for billionaires to sign a pledge that they will give more than 51% of their wealth away to a charity. Yeah, Bill Gates' kids hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? He signed, Why? this guy signed that deal. He's one of the guys okay. that signed that deal. All right. So You're turning me so, a bit. No, so I'm not trying to turn you. Yeah, okay. So- so I, I want to I want to give the guy a break. Here's why I can't. <laughs> right. Because the guy apologized in an attorney st- in a statement that was clearly crafted by attorneys. Hmm. He didn't get on a microphone, go on a radio station, go on a TV, go on ESPN, go on the local news in Bay Area and look into the camera or say, hey, and say and say how you feel about watching on video what you did in that moment. But instead, we don't see any of that. Nothing. The only thing we got from the guy was a crafted apology that was clearly approved by attorneys. Can I defend that for a second? Sure. We just talked about in 2019, if you say one thing wrong, your life could potentially be over. I feel like if I were him, I would want to run everything through the filter of my attorneys. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. Because you can get emotional if you go on live TV or live radio. You could say the wrong thing. You're already in hot water. Let's just make sure nothing goes wrong. But but if you're looking for people to understand and accept that it was a bad moment, Mm -hmm. and you want to stay as an NBA owner, and you want people not to detest you or not to judge you based on this, except you'd rather them based on the fact that you're going to give away more than half of $2.3 billion, and you're on the Harvard University Advisory Committee, and you do philanthropic things, and you've done a lot of good, and you just feel to- terrible about something that you did, I-, I think you can do better than, I think you got to say, hey, I get it, I get it. I'm putting myself out there, but you know what, I put myself out there when I did this, so I'm going to take a shot here. And I'm going to say to my attorneys, I know my the advice is just let us put a statement out. Yeah. I know I'm 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 going over your heads, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to one person, whoever it is, whether it's ESPN's guys or TNT's Charles Bar, whoever it is. I'm going to talk to one person, and I'm going to look into a camera. I'm going to answer questions. I'd be nervous if I was his attorney. Why risk? Of course. It? Why risk it? Just, to save just- to save your ownership. To save your ownership stake in the team. Would the NBA look at that differently if he goes on and apologizes on Maybe camera? Maybe the NBA told him not to do it. Yeah, perhaps. And we want it to go away. That's right. That's, I think that's probably what happened. And I, I wouldn't want him to risk it. You just clearly can't control yourself. You just I, shoved an NBA player sho- for no game. For no apparent reason. Have, have, have we seen that before? I was trying to oh, think. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I Not owners. We've coaches. Se- well, we've seen Bo Schembechler hit somebody on Lou the sides at Michigan. Didn't he grab a kid? I think Lou Holtz, but Bobby Knight, you know, he did oh, it every Thursday. Never mind. Every, yeah. every, every two weeks he did <laughs> right. it. Um, but we've also seen, and this is my biggest, 
my biggest problem, this goes back years and years and years, and we've actually talked about this on the radio show, and it goes way beyond this incident. But we've seen for years and years people in the front rows of NBA games, NFL games, college baseball, college basketball games, do things that they think they're entitled That's to right. do. They have a license beca- to do it. Because I spent a lot yep. of money on this ticket when they know that if they did it on the street corner, they get their ass kicked. That's right. <laughs> but no, but, but they feel like we don't have to behave like we would behave publicly because we paid a lot of money. And we've seen this for years. Unless you yell at Ron Artest. <laughs> He's the one guy that'll come after you. Well, yeah, <laughs> Vernon Maxwell, I think, they, did they, too. They know, they know, Stephen, uh, Stephen something or other. They know that most of these guys know that we can say we want, we can say and do they anything we want. All. And and you know yeah. what? They're not allowed to say anything back to me. They're not allowed to put. Yeah. And it just drives me crazy. Yeah, that entitlement it just tried, is awful. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Anyway, okay, three good guests. I promise, three good guests. I love it. And then you'll stick around, and we'll finish up the show. You talked about Gaston. I actually have a Gaston story for you. Maybe you have something that you'd like to share yeah, with us sure. in our in our final segment. And I got to make a U.S. Open pick because of the Daniels, uh, not the Daniels Broiler dinner. We got the Daniels Broiler dinner on Wednesday, but we've got the contest. If you're just listening to this and you haven't made your pick for the contest and you'd like to go to Pebble Beach and play golf with me next month, make your pick for the U.S. Open. Go to the website and do it. And if you don't know where to go, just go to our website, MitchUnfiltered.com, and make your pick for the U.S. Open, which begins on Thursday. So I think picks have to be in like 5 o'clock in the morning Pacific time on well, Thursday. You better give like us Pacific o'clock. time because someone will come in at 5.01. Well, it says it on the <laughs> okay, website. Okay, good. All right. It says it on the <laughs> way. Three good interviews, and then Hot Shot Scott and I will finish things up yes. on episode 43. Hot Shot Father's Day is Sunday. I know you know that. I say kill three birds with one stone, not two. A, spoil your dad and family. Take them to one of the four great Daniels locations. B, experience and understand what the very best meal in the Pacific Northwest not only tastes like, but what the treatment feels like, the first-class treatment. And C, send a message to Lindsey Schwartz that you appreciate his family standing behind me all these years, in part making this podcast venture possible. Both Daniels Bellevue and South Lake Union will serve an extended dinner from 2 to 9 p.m. Daniels Leshy will have an a la carte brunch from 9.30 to 3 and serve dinner from 4 to 9 And the new downtown Daniels at the Hyatt Regency is serving a world-class brunch buffet from 9 to 3, 60 bucks per person for adults, $20 per person for children. Downtown Daniels will be serving dinner from 5 to 10. Happy Father's Day to all from Daniels, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. It was a big week for the Seattle Mariners. Obviously, lots and lots of new draftees, but I don't think any of them have the story of our next guest. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is a six-foot, 205-pounder, third baseman, out of Bellingham, Washington, by way of, what, FIU and Bellevue College. And there's just so much to this story that I love. Austin Shenton is our guest. Austin, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. As I said, your story has really moved me. I, I would uh, I would like to start from the beginning, if I might respectfully ask you about your childhood. Tell everybody in our audience, adopted into a very loving family in Bellingham at age five, and kind of pick up the story from there. Um, yeah, I mean, I was adopted by uh, my parents, Dana and Andrea Shenton, and uh, 
when I was five years old. And I think from there, it's just, uh, I mean, it's been, there's been some ups and downs, but obviously, you know, that's, that's life. But I think, uh, I got really lucky and I got really lucky to have two amazing parents that really taught me what it means to be a good person. And, you know, that that's something I always put first and foremost when I, uh, when I think about how I want to live my life. And as a kid, always a great baseball player. Did you play other sports? Tell us about your athletic upbringing in Bellingham. Uh, yes, sir. I mean, I played basically every sport known to man. I was, I was always trying to play as many sports as possible. I remember there are days where my mom was taking me from the soccer field to the baseball field and then to the basketball court. So yeah, I played, I lettered in four sports in high school being a basketball, baseball, football, and tennis. So I was always trying to, you know, be the best I could at every single sport. And recently I've taken up golf. So (laughs) it's a lot less, uh, it's a lot less hard on your body. So, um, yeah, no, I, I try to play as many sports as possible and just stay as active as possible. All right, you mentioned golf. I have to get off the story here for a second to get to a tangent. What, what kind of scores are you shooting already in golf, having just taken it up? Well, yeah, so I started playing golf about a year ago, and my best score so far is a 74, but oh I'm, uh, oh. I'm, I am I'm shot a 79 last night. I had a little celebratory oh. round, but no, it's uh, I'm, I'm anywhere from 78 to 82 right now normally. Lefty on the golf course too? Yeah, lefty on the golf course. I love the story. This is the voice of Austin Shenton, six feet, 205 pounds out of Bellingham High. Uh, I want to get to all of these great, great layers of your life and your story at such a young age. I love and completely relate to the stories of your mom, Andrea, hardly being able to watch you play, ner- nervously, <laughs> yeah. nervously leaving the stands and peeking through gaps and putting her hands over yeah. her face while she's watching you on the internet. Talk to us about... Uh, something that a lot of us parents of kids who play baseball or any other sports can really relate to. Yeah, well, I think it all kind of begins. I mean, my mom, we all watch every basically every Seahawks game together. And, you know, there's been some huge games, like <laughs> huge games, like the wild card game against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And like when Blair Walsh yeah. missed a field goal, like yeah. my mom was nowhere to be found me and my dad were just watching and my mom was nowhere to be found yeah. we're like where is she nowhere to be found so my dad and me were just celebrating in our living room but yeah no there's been a lot of moments like that uh when it relates to me I mean I kind of always have an idea where my mom sits in the stands so I've, I've always been like you know where, where where are my people at you know where are they at all right there there they are and so I'll I'll look, you know, before an inning or something, be like, okay, there's mom, you know. And then all of a sudden, she vanishes. I'm like, goodness, where, where is she? Where is she at? Where is she at? I'm just, I'm just kind of scanning in my spare time, like in between pitches or something, you know. I probably shouldn't do that, but I was just scanning. And then all of a sudden, I see her, you know, behind, like, masses of people, or like, you know, or just way further away than she was before. And it's just like, ah, oh, that's my mom. I mean, She's, I mean, she she just cares so much and wants to see me succeed, and I don't know. She gets a little nervous. She's gotten better as I've grown up, and you know, she's like, "All right, well, you've done it for so long. I mean, I think you're, I think you're at a point where I can stop getting so nervous." But she she definitely still has those nerves. You grew up a multi-sports star at Bellingham High School. You also grew up in the shadows of Joe Martin Field, where the Bellingham Bells play. 
You remember going out to the games as a kid. Do you remember the first foul ball that you ran down as a kid at a Bellingham Bells game? Yeah, actually, I do. I thought I thought that was the biggest deal in the world, man. I was like, <laughs> man, I'm so cool. I'm passing all these kids. I, I got the ball, and I was, I was like, all right, you know. And that was that was my that was my goal. And my other goal was like, how fast can I throw on that little, you know, mile per hour thing? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was another. That was another one of my one of my goals at the game. So I remember I threw 54 miles per hour when I was eight years old. Wow! And and all these all these guys that were working it were just like, "Yo, you can go for free!" Like that was really impressive. Like, and I was like, and that's kind of when I was like, started to realize, man, I'm a little bit not like at that age, but I was like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit better than you know most eight year olds or ten year olds or twelve year olds. And then kind of as I started branching out, I kind of realized, you know. I was a I was a little bit better as far as you know people in the region. So yeah, but yeah, the Bells games, the Bells games were awesome, and it was kind of funny how I, I played for the Bells, and then now I'm going to play for the Mariners. It's kind of crazy how it's all worked out. Unbelievable. Austin Shenton is the voice on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He's the fifth round draft choice out of FIU, but there's a long story on how he got there by the Seattle Mariners third baseman, left-handed hitter. Uh, before I get to your family and your family matters, you say you went to lots of Bells games. Were you able to get to Safeco Field a lot? I'm assuming you grew up a big Mariners fan at that point. Oh, of course, of course. I remember when I was five, I had this Ichiro shirt that was literally my prized possession. So, yeah, I've I've always been a huge Mariners fan. My family always has been. We watch so many of the games, and it's uh, it's been a rough a rough go at it the last few years but you know i i hope that i can help you know change that in a few years but um at the same time i mean yeah i've i've, I've driven down to seattle so many times to watch mariners games seahawks games you know i've i've been to seattle I, I love the city i mean i went to bellevue college for a year so i was in that area for a full year so it's i mean it's it's awesome i went to Mariners games growing up. I love Felix Hernandez. I mean, all those guys I was huge fans of growing up. What's it going to be like, or don't you even dream about it? Maybe you do. What's it going to be like when you're announced to the, I guess it's T-Mobile Park now, when you're announced to the crowd, your first at bat at that stadium where you drove down to watch the Mariners, your beloved Mariners play? What's that going to be like? Well, if I'm lucky enough to make it, I mean – it's gonna be one of the most unreal feelings ever. I mean, what? I mean, what? What kid dreams about that? And it actually comes true. I mean, I remember my first my first grade class. I I wrote what I wanted to be when I was older, and I I wrote I wanted to be a shortstop on the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> and I I moved over a position. I moved about you know seventy feet over, but you know it, it might come to fruition. And it's um it's just a remarkable feeling and. I'm just extremely grateful for the Mariners for giving me the opportunity and also just for my family and everyone that's supported me along the way. It's, I mean, there's so many people that have, you know, shaped who I am today and have helped me, thrown me extra BP, give me extra ground balls. It's just, you meet so many amazing people along the way. It's, it's just such an honor to, you know, be able to make those people proud and know that all the help that they gave you wasn't for, for nothing, you know. Austin, um, some of those great people that you're talking about are really, really close to you. I've read the stories of your family. Let's start with your older brother. I think our audience would love to hear about 
your older brother and the kind of inspiration he's been and the, the fact that he's been your number one fan and will always be your number one fan? Yeah, I mean, my brother Ian, he's, I mean, he's great. He, uh, he's had some really tremendous struggles in life and just, you know, some pretty severe disabilities, but, you know, that, that doesn't make him any less of a person. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met and, you know, just a joy to be around. And, you know, he, he loves baseball. He loves the bells. It's hilarious. He's, he's going tonight again. It's fireworks night. So he just loves baseball. I mean, he's a huge baseball fan. So, I mean, he's gone through so much. He's gone through brain surgeries and, everything and i mean just just looking at him and you know how happy and how joyous he treats you know and how much joy he has in life it's uh it's just you you learn not to take things for granted you know yeah you know when you i'm assuming you're going to start in everett and that's not too far away uh and big brother big brother and mom and dad and all your friends and family you're going to be there what's that going to that's going to be a hell of a a hell of a fun time for you in Everett, huh? Yeah, it's it's going to be a ton of fun. I mean, it's I I honestly there's a one in thirty chance of it happening, and it happened. And <laughs> I was telling people that the Mariners are one of the highest teams on me, but for it to actually happen is just kind of mind boggling. Tell everybody the story out of high school. You had a few different choices. You were drafted out of high school um, in like the thirty or thirty fifth round. You could have uh, signed a contract in the Indians organization. You were recruited, highly recruited, to the University of Washington. You could have played for our beloved Huskies baseball, but you chose neither A or B. You chose C. Now, you just referred to it earlier. You chose to go to Bellevue College instead. Tell everybody why and what that experience was like. Well, the reason why kind of stems from me getting drafted out of high school and I kind of wanted to just give give myself a full year um, to just improve my game and, you know, hopefully become either draft out, like draft ready and pro ready or to, you know, be an impact player to do on program my sophomore year. So, I mean, Bellevue gave me such a great opportunity to improve and I, I'm really honored to play for Coach Yoshino and David Olson. They really helped me. But then it was kind of after that, I mean, it was kind of a tough decision because, I mean, obviously, I wanted to play for the Huskies, but at the same time, I didn't really want my parents to pay for school. And so I, I called up Coach Jared Goodwin at FIU, who is formerly my summer coach mm-hmm. at FTB for yep. the Travel Bowl. Yep. And um, I just called him up, and I was like, hey, man, do you have a spot for a left-handed hitting third baseman? And he kind of just said yes. And then logistically, it worked out really well um, for my family. And so... I just thought it'd be the best opportunity for me. And so uh, it's just kind of crazy how it all all worked out and all shaped up. And now I'm coming back to the West Coast to play uh, for the team I grew up watching. That's amazing. And so you were having lots of success at FIU. And then you came home. I'm not sure what year it was. I think it was before this last junior season at FIU. And you were greeted by really horrible news. So, So many people in our audience have been touched by cancer. Tell everybody what you found out and how difficult that was to get back on a plane and go back and play baseball with all that on your mind. Yeah, I mean, to begin with, I think my mom's uh, one of the strongest people I've ever met. So um, she makes it all easy. And, I mean, she she doesn't really put much 
you know, she doesn't complain to me or, you know, so that kind of makes it a little bit easier just how strong she is. So um, that always helps. But the way, the way it kind of happened was just, you know, how life kind of works. Um, I was kind of coming off one of those, you know, emotional highs where you, you kind of, you know, I won summer player of the year. We won the Cape Cod League championship. Um, and then I come home, my parents, telling me to get around the table, just, you know, have kind of a serious meeting. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big troublemaker. So I was kind of like, dang it, what, what did I do wrong? I mean, I was, I was kind of confused. And then um, they're like, Oh, honey, you're not in trouble. I mean, and then uh, my mom, my mom actually said, uh, Austin, uh, I, have, I have breast cancer. And then, um, from that, I was just, I was just in shock. I was, that is not the news I was expecting to be honest with you. And so, I mean, a lot of people have gone through it and, you know, it touches so many people. So it's such a terrible disease, but, um, luckily my mom has, you know, great doctors on her side and she's, she's really just a strong and amazing person. So, uh, and my dad's been a great support. So it's, I think it's just she has a great team around her, and she's been she's been really fighting as well. And she insisted that you go back and you play baseball and you do your best because that was therapy for her to watch you via the internet to watch her son be so impactful on the diamond that it helped her, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think she would have been super upset at me if I if I stayed home and just tried to you know help with anything I could. She she just wanted me to go live out my dream. So my whole focus was dedicating as much as my time as to getting as good at baseball as I can so I could make her and my dad um, proud and, you know, make sure that, you know, all the sacrifices they've made for me growing up uh, didn't, you know, didn't go to waste and just ultimately wanted to make them proud. Uh, you've made them proud and you don't have to do another thing. If you don't get another hit, if you don't get another at bat, if you don't play in another game, you've already well surpassed the proud status. So you've got no pressure on yourself to do anything more yeah, than you've already you, done. Buddy. You sound like a really a great son. Now, I've got a couple more before you go. There's these things about you. There's these layers to, to Austin that I just love. I've seen some of your photography, which is beautiful. I don't even know what I was looking at. I, I was looking at some <laughs> picture that you took that was incredible. I've heard about the cooking that you love to cook and someday you want to open up a vegetarian restaurant and that you cook for yeah. your, you cook for your teammates at FIU. I've heard about that. Yeah, 100%. 100%, yeah. And I've also heard about the karaoke singing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hear that you yeah. uh, you might be more confident in your own karaoke singing than you are playing third base or getting into the left side of the batter's box. I hear you're very cocky Ooh. when it comes to karaoke. Well, the thing is, is I'm not great, but when you're in a room full of, you know, 30 guys, I mean, you sound a little bit better than almost every single one of them, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's something that I love. Like, I wish I was really good at singing. Like, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I can be objective about my singing skills. I'm not, I'm average, Uh but, but as far as on my team, I was, you know, I was John Mayer, you know, I was. I, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to draw comparisons. But, Can I, okay, hold you know. on, hold on. Can I hear any of this? Is there somewhere like on the internet or something you can send me? Is there some? I, I mean, I think our listeners 
I know our listeners are very tr- we're very trusting of you, and you are a great oh, kid, man. and I, we know you wouldn't mislead us. But why don't you allow oh, no. us to judge? What's your go-to song, and where can I get a clip of of Austin singing something karaoke? Man, I mean, y'all might have to wait on that one. Okay. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have too much karaoke, or, right. you know, songs of me singing. But I think I, there's so many go-tos. I mean, there's so many, so many songs for so many situations. Um, but I like some Adele. Okay. Um, okay. My, you know, some Jason Mraz. Oh. All right, so the slow mm-hmm. stuff. You like a little of the slow st- You like a little love song. Yeah, I, you do a love song, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like John Mayer, you know, uh, Bruno Mars. Okay. Know, All right. I got there's you. A, there's a lot of, yeah. I got you. So that's kind of the vibe I, vibe I like when I'm trying to, trying to show off my average vocals. Well, if you'll allow me as we end to, to get on my soapbox, you know, I've been a sports fan like so many others for a million years, and – there are so many athletes, professional, college, high school. How do you know who to root for? Well, you can root for guys and gals that are on your favorite teams or that you have connection to, or you can root for guys and gals that have an incredible story, have an impeccable character even at a, at a young age, have their head screwed on right, and make uh, all the right choices for the right reasons. And when I hear Austin Shenton for the last 10 or 12 or 15 minutes, I see both A and B, somebody who's on my favorite baseball team or is a part of the organization, so I have connections to you that way. You're a Northwest guy. I have connections to you that way. But most of all, you you check every box off of B as just being a just a great kid, so, so grounded. Uh, I love the story of your family, and I just want to end by saying – on behalf of all of our listeners, that uh, your mother's in our prayers, your brother is in our prayers, and we're all rooting for you every step of the way. I can't wait to go on MILB.com and watch every at-bat, starting from Everett all the way through the minor leagues and into T-Mobile Park. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And if you ever want to go play some golf, just let me know. <laughs> I, don't like getting, <laughs> I don't like getting beaten by guys that have only taken up the golf, the game for like three weeks and I've been playing for 40 years. I don't, that's a little humbling. So uh, how, far, how, far are you, how far are you hitting it off the tee? How far does a slugging third baseman lefty hit it off the tee? Uh, I mean, if I hit it good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my greatest drive is probably around 330. 330. 330. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, little, a little downwind, but. Yeah. yeah. Will you, uh, yeah. will you drop off a cup of coffee to me as you drive by me in the cart and go another 55, <laughs> 60, 80 yards? Will you do that? Oh, yeah, if that's what you want, I got you. Austin, big fan of yours. Uh, Great to hear you. Great to hear your story. I hope you'll come on the podcast again. Thanks so very much, and all the best to you and your family. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. What an amazing story. What an incredible kid. Easy to root for. The fifth-round draft choice, Bellingham native Austin Shenton of the Seattle Mariners. All right, who wants free Mitch unfiltered merchandise? Raise your hand. I'm ready to send out five unfiltered tumblers, the most popular item we've done so far, and you can't even order them on our page because this is getting ridiculous. 30-year fixed mortgage rates are now around 3.8%, lowest in two years, and I will bet you 
that more than half of our homeowning audience could save serious money every month with a refi. So much so I'm putting my Mitch merch where my mouth is. The first five homeowners to simply call Jordan Flowers, no no commitment or anyone in his Guild Mortgage team in Kirkland, and just ask, how much could I save on a refi from what I'm paying now? If you do that, first five people that do that, I'll send you a Tumblr, a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr. It's on the honor system. Just email me directly, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and tell me that you've called and you asked. 425-250-3150 is the number. Again, 425-250-3150. A 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. They've got three top 1% loan officers in the United States just in the Kirkland office alone. So all you've got to do is call and ask how much you can save and let me know that you've done so at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Un. Filtered. Blocked by Ibaka. And they can't save it. Goes out of bounds. It's going to be Golden State ball as Lowry goes diving into the stands. He's upset with a fan. Talking to Mark Davis about it. Lowry and a fan join. There's no room for the, in our game for that. You know, in that situation, you know, I don't think I, I could have handled it any better. Um, you know, I'm glad I did what I did. And Understanding that, you know, things could have been a lot different if I reacted a a different way or if I did something or put my hands on them or did anything in in that nature. Um, But uh, the support I've gotten um, from fellow players uh, the league has been unbelievable. Well, as we record this interview, the Raptors are on the doorstep of dusting off the Golden State Warriors in what I still think is astonishing fashion. I'll get the uh, the expert opinion of our next guest but we've got more subplots phil barber columnist of the santa rosa press democrat and author co-author of how many books phil uh somewhere around a dozen i think some of those are kids books and some are writing the text for coffee table books <laughs> so i like to throw out that number but it's not quite as impressive when you break it no, down No, i think it's very impressive we'll go with the dozen we'll go with the dozen this uh, this series has tons of subplots. The Ewings in South Fork didn't have as many uh, subplots. The wife of the owner receiving death threats on social media for offering Jay-Z a lime. And, of course, there's the shove scene around the world. Minority owner uh, taking a cheap shot at Kyle Lowry. Uh, you did a piece in the newspaper, a column, a very strong column, where you say you believe the Warriors should cut ties with owner Mark Stevens. For our listeners who have not read your piece, tell us why and then kind of segue to what's coming next in this story. I'm assuming that it's not going to go away anytime soon. What's funny about those two non-basketball events that you just mentioned, uh, the the little strange uh, drama between Beyonce, Jay-Z, and uh, Joe Lacob's wife, Nicole, and the thing with the minority owner, Mark Stevens, pushing Kyle Lowry, they actually happened about, I want to say, 20 feet away from one another, maybe Uh 15 Uh feet. There are not that many seats in between those two events. It was the same part of the first row of seating, so that was really weird. But um, basically, what I wrote in my column was that Mark Stevens, as 
a representative of the Warriors organization and uh, representative at, at the very top of that organization or close to it as a minority owner of the team, basically broke broke his covenant as co-owner, um, broke, broke his unstated contract um, being in that sort of position, which is, you know, you, you handle yourself, you conduct yourself in the way that you would want all fans to. And what he did, um, and I don't want to make it sound like it was violent or that he's done it repeatedly, but what he did in, in that instant uh, when Kyle Lowry dove for a loose ball and went into the stands, by putting his hands on a player, he he really shattered that uh, unwritten contract between fans and athletes and put Kyle Lowry in, in a terrible situation. And as Lowry said pretty eloquently the next day, you know, if, if he had fought back or, or even just given Stevens a little shove, he'd be in yeah. – He'd be so deep, deep in trouble. He might not even be playing in in this series right now. And for uh, a minority owner on the team to cross that boundary, I think is inexcusable. So, whereas in other cases, if somebody does something off the court, you know, a, a DUI or even something as horrible as a as a domestic violence incident, I think that that as you weigh what the consequences should be, it makes a difference that those things didn't happen in the context of a team activity. This did, and th- that's the reason that I think uh, the, the Warriors really need to cut ties with Mark Stevens. I have so many, so many questions as I listen to you put it into, into words. I know that he has apologized, I think, through a statement. Has he said anything else? Like, what was going through his mind? Did he feel like... I would think that there'd be some explanation like I thought he was he came in a little bit rougher or tougher than he should have or I don't know if that was his wife that was sitting in between where Lowry came into the stands and where he was sitting is there any at all explanation on his behalf as to what was going on in that split second Not that I've seen he did issue an apology um as you mentioned it was in a statement um and it it was it, it wasn't a non-apology like you hear sometimes. He he did admit culpability, but it sounded pretty corporate. It, it was kind of what you would expect, um, you know, from an uh, in, investment uh, banker and sent through probably PR staff. Um, so he has not explained in any more detail. I would I would love to hear that explanation. I, I've heard some a, a few fans sort of rush to his defense, and they're take on it is kind of similar to what you just said that Lowry came in pretty hot when I when I watched the replay of that the first thing that struck me was whoa that's a that's a pretty violent dive into the stands like he he did make contact with a couple of fans and sort of knocked a woman in the second row back into her seat and what these fans speculated was that you know Lowry Lowry came in fairly forcefully maybe didn't get up right away they think that Mark Stevens probably said something to, or, or put, put his hands on Lowry and gave him a little shove, like, you know, get, get off these people. And I do believe that was his wife uh, sitting next to him. And the other, the other part that I hadn't mentioned and, and, and you hadn't mentioned was that in addition to the shove, yes. Kyle Lowry says yes. that 
yeah. Mark Stevens cur- cursed him out. They dropped it through a couple F bombs at him. And the fans who came to Stevens' defense have uh, sort of guessed that it was after the shove when Lowry said something to Stevens. That's when Stevens, you know, came back at him cursing. So, uh, but that's all, that's all speculation. Stevens hasn't really said what was going through his head. Do you think the NBA has gotten in the middle of this from the standpoint that, I, I don't know, as somebody who has gone through my share of problems and had to face them on a public basis, it would seem to me that a guy like Stevens, and we'll get into who he is in a second, because uh, you know a little bit more about him than, than any of our listeners do, certainly. He could have gone on ABC or ESPN in the pregame of the next game or at halftime and, and given a heartfelt apology, explained that there's no excuse and issued, uh, you know, and come from the heart, something that uh, something a lot more than kind of an impersonal statement that went through attorneys. I'm surprised we haven't seen that, and I wonder aloud to you, Phil, whether maybe the NBA has said, no, we, we don't want you on TV, we don't want you on ABC, we're going to handle this from here on in. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. The, the NBA might have done that. It's possible the Warriors did that as well, because um, as, as quickly – and as admirably, admirably as both of those organizations uh, jumped into this quickly and uh, helped to resolve it in some way quickly, um, I think that that the Warriors and the NBA are both practiced enough in the art of public relations to know that often the best thing to do from the company's point of view is to you know let. The, disappear and leave the news cycle as possible. And the thinking there might have been that, uh, you know, once Mark Stevens made his apology, let's just ignore this as quickly as we can. And in in the midst of this uh, fairly incredible NBA final, it's pretty easy to forget about this other incident. So I I think whether the NBA or the Warriors blocked Stevens from talking or not, I think they're pretty happy that he didn't. And when you go way back to figure out his origin and his at least origin with the team, I guess we're to blame up here in the in the Northwest. Had the had the Sonics group, had the Seattle group captured the Sacramento Kings team when they tried to grab the Kings and bring them to Seattle, Ranadive would not have left the Golden State Warriors to take over the Kings and and, and Stevens wouldn't be an owner of the Golden State Warriors. So it's all our fault. Right, Phil. There you go. You, c- c- connecting some important dots there. That that's right. Interesting how that shook out and and how he came to acquire his interest in the team. So, uh, uh, I, hey, maybe blame blame the NBA for uh, not not getting that team up to Seattle. So, who is Mark Stevens? He's a billionaire. I saw in certain reports, maybe yours. Something worth two point three billion. So one of the one of the wealthiest guys in America. Uh, I see that he's on an advisory board at Harvard. I see that he signed the Buffett Gates pledge. All these billionaires that are signing the pledge to give away the majority of his money to charity once he's no longer. I, I you know, I, I I tend to not want to judge somebody on their worst moment, just like me, just the way I would want. Um, what do we know about him, and does it change at all? How you feel about what the end game in this is, and what do you think the end game is? Do you think we're gonna we're gonna see him ousted as an owner of the Golden State Warriors? 
one caveat, everything I'm about to tell you that I know about Mark Stevens, I, I learned in the last 48 hours or so because I, I had never heard of him. My uh, understanding is that, and I know um, I know all of the Warriors beat writers. It's a, it's a pretty close network here in the Bay Area. And I didn't hear any of those guys say that they knew of him or had really talked to him before that. Even some of the Warriors players, when asked about him said, you know, they'd, they'd noticed him sitting courtside. And I think some knew he was an owner, but none had really interacted with him much. So it's not like he's been face forward. And, uh, I, I hadn't him until the incident. Um, but you know, just reading some biographical stuff on, on the Forbes website, it seems like there's a lot to admire in Mark Stevens. They, they describe him as, really a, a self-made man, worked his way through college on his own dime for the most part, um, started, you know, in, in really the lower ranks of finance and, and worked his way up to uh, really some, some pretty impressive achievements. And as, as you said, did sign on to, to the Buffett Gates contract or however you describe it, you know, pledging to make, uh, and I can't, Maybe you remember the figure. I don't, but pledging to, I think, make uh, donate a certain percentage of wealth to charity, and I and he has given a lot to uh, several universities and and um, institutions. So, I mean, in in some ways, I think he's done a lot of things the right way. But to me, that's that's pretty irrelevant to this situation. Like he could be the worst sort of corporate hedge fund guy and if he you know sits there and behaves himself at an nba game more power to him uh mark stevens apparently has you know done a lot of things the right way but it just set a terrible example for how team representatives and any fan should behave what has happened is a fine of five hundred thousand dollars and an edict by the nba that he cannot be involved in Warriors activities or attend any games uh, for a year, which means he is missing the rest of these finals and will miss pretty much the entire first season at the Chase Center, the Warriors' new arena that uh, is still under construction. And th- and that's all we know. I, I don't I don't know where it's going to go from there. Honestly, my gut feeling is that that will be the extent of it. Don't get me wrong; that's a significant punishment, both financially. And, you know, in terms of just hitting someone's social status to say he can't go to these games for a year and drag him through the mud a little bit. I I think that Mark Stevens and the Warriors will agree that that's enough punishment. I do think he will quietly return to team activities at some point and retain his ownership. But I'm not sure of that. Uh, It kind of depends on, I think, how much outcry there is over this. The faster this goes away and the quieter it remains, the better Stevens' chances are for uh, retaining that ownership. And Phil, this gets back to a word that you used that you kind of took right out of my mouth. I was thinking of it before you even, uh, you even, I even read your piece. Uh, we have seen these this misbehavior amongst courtside people at college games and at pro games and in different sports. And the word that you used was entitlement. It's this whole thing where a guy says, hey, I'm paying top dollar to sit courtside at an NBA Finals game, 
And that allows me somehow to behave any way that I want to and kind of not adhere to the way you behave on a street corner or in a drugstore with a stranger. And I'm not just talking about Stevens. I'm talking about all these guys who feel like, okay, I can yell anything I want at these players. I can push. I can shove. I remember Marcus Smart. I think it was in in college. And it's like, you know, from my perspective, they know that the players can't retaliate. They can't defend themselves. They wouldn't do what they do courtside at a drugstore or on a street corner for fear of what would, you know, what the ramifications might be. There seems to be, at least they think, no ramifications to the behavior. Entitlement. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that entitlement is the crux of this entire issue. Um, here, you, you can't sit on that floor at Oracle Arena in the NBA Finals unless you have a lot of money. And obviously, Mark Stevens does a $2.3 billion estimated net worth uh, by Forbes and an ownership stake in probably the hottest sports team in North America. He's a uh, wealthy, wealthy man who um, has built companies and uh, taken companies, helped take companies through the roof. Almost everything he's done professionally sounds like it's been successful. And I don't know Mark Stevens, and I can't put words in his mouth or thoughts in his head. But something tells me that, you know, he he thinks that because everything he has done has been successful and that, and he's been a part of it, that that's how it's always going to be. And, you know, let's, let's be honest. I don't think there was a, a racial component to what he said to Kyle Lowry or even how Mark Stevens reacted in that moment. But there is a, a way that rich, older white men, you know, feel like they can behave that I think a lot of people in this society know that they simply couldn't get away with if they were in the same position. And, you know, you mentioned how he wouldn't do it if he was at the bank or the drugstore. And I think that's right. And I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't have done that in that moment because they know that there are going to be ramifications for them. Whereas there's a certain segment of this society that has probably come to understand that there aren't always ramifications for what they do. And that. That really is the definition of entitlement, and I do think it played into this. Phil, one last question for you, and I'll let you run. Phil Barber, great columnist of Santa Rosa Press Democrat. Read his work online, author and co-author to some books as well. By the time many of our listeners are hearing this interview, Phil, the NBA Championship Series finals could be over. The, the Raptors at the time of our recording are one win away from perhaps ending what you would call the Golden State Warriors run, reign, whatever you want to call it. Give us a kind of a, a sense of where you sit. You're closer to it than we are as to what's the next what's the next chapter in this is. Durant leaving is Clay Thompson leaving. What's this team going to look like next year uh, when it goes into that new arena? Take on some of those great subplots during the offseason for us. Honestly, they're they're stepping into a void right now. We don't know what's going to happen on Monday night. Um, the Warriors season could come to a, a stunning end in game five. That would mean that we'll never see another Warriors game at Oracle Arena. Even if they win that, it doesn't mean they're going to come storm back and win the finals. This is a very 
good and determined Raptors team. So we don't know what's going to happen in the series. And then when the season's over, win or lose, immediately the Warriors are going to be thrown into uncertainty about the near future, uh, largely revolving around Kevin Durant's decision of where he wants to play. But also related to some other people, Clay Thompson is a free agent. DeMarcus Cousins is a free agent. They are moving into the new arena, and there's not always the same vibe when a team does that. They've got a couple of key core veterans like Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston who are getting older now and uh, aren't as effective as they were a couple years ago. The whole makeup of this team is in flux and could be changing uh, as soon as the buzzer sounds on the final game of this season. So I don't know where all that's headed, but it is absolutely going to be fascinating to watch how it plays out. It feels like to many of us that Kevin Durant can't get out of there fast enough. Is that wrong? You know, a lot of people think that. And I I would say I, I haven't been clear all year on what Durant's thinking. And my gut feeling is that he hasn't decided and won't really decide until the dust settles. But I will tell you, though, that I know people who are much closer to the team than I am who have felt all year like he, he's leaving uh, under no matter what happens with these finals and how the season ends, that he was always on his way out the door. And he, he's a complicated person, and um, that, could, that could certainly be the case. And I, and I do think that, that there's a presumption – that he's leaving and it, and it will, it will take the warriors convincing him of something or will take some sort of change of heart for him to stay. Is it because he hasn't enjoyed his time there or is it because he feels like he is not being, you know, looked at as a guy who carries a team. He needs to be the man that carries a team to an NBA championship. Yeah. I think he's enjoyed his time here a lot. I, I, um, I think he really has enjoyed the way the Warriors play basketball. He's made a lot of connections in the in Silicon Valley and, and has had great business opportunities here. But I think he's come to realize that it doesn't matter how long he's here or how many NBA Finals MVP awards he wins. He'll never be regarded in the same way as Stephen Curry here and probably not in the same way as Draymond Green and Klay Thompson either because those guys took the Warriors from an okay team or, you know, some of them from a terrible team to an okay team and then to a champion. And the fans out here love Kevin Durant and they really do appreciate what he's done, but they don't Mm -hmm. have the same affection for him that they have for those other guys. And I think he knows that. And I think he's a, a very sensitive person who really can't help but hear what people say and read what people write. And I think if he does leave, it'll primarily be because he, he does want to, he wants to have an opportunity to do what those guys did to do what Stephen Curry and the others did. And that is turn a franchise around and be the person who is beloved by those fans. Phil, I've been a, a fan from afar for a while. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, and I hope that we can call upon you again sometime. Yeah, let's talk again sometime. Thanks a lot, Mitch. There he is, Phil Barber, the author and columnist of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat who says that the minority owner of the Warriors who shoved Kyle Lowry in the NBA Finals, he should lose his interest in the NBA team. He should be forced 
to sell. All right, who's coming to Pebble Beach with me next month? Who's staying at the Lodge and playing Pebble and Spyglass Hill? Who's going low? Get your U.S. Open picks in now in the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler Hay and his premier wealth manager teams in Bellevue, Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley have made it possible to win the golf trip of a lifetime. They also gave away three trips in the biggest March Madness pool anywhere in the Northwest. And I'm super lucky to have a partner like Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion in assets. The 2018 fastest growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound Business Journal. Headquartered again in Bellevue, but with offices along the West Coast, Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager of the Northwest. Unfiltered. It's been a pretty darn good week for our next guest from Lakeside High School. Move over, Paul Allen. Move over, Bill Gates. There's a new Lakeside Lion that's grabbing all the attention. He's the 16th overall pick of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Here's Corbin Carroll. Corbin, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. What kind of week has it been? making everybody forget about Paul Allen and Bill Gates over there at Lakeside. I, uh, I don't think they have to move over too much. I mean, <laughs> I think I think they're still holding around pretty well. But, no, it's been it's been an amazing week, and um, it's been super exciting to sort of get a little bit of clarity into what my uh, next steps are going to be. Also, just spending time with friends and family um, on that, that draft day was pretty special as well. Did you have any idea where you were going? By the way, he was the 16th overall pick of the Diamondbacks. He had 540 last year. The Gatorade Washington State High School Player of the Year, one of the great high school players in the country, represented the country. We can talk all in all about all that stuff. Did you have any idea where you were going? I read uh, little uh, articles here and there. Everybody thought you were going in the first round. Was 16 just about right, Corbin? I knew a little bit going into it. Sort of had some ideas where I might, where the chips might fall. But after everything was said and done, uh, Really couldn't be happier with the team that chose me. Super excited to get sort of Diamondbacks. All right, so no no thoughts of still going to – I'm going to bust your balls about UCLA here in a second because your dad, I think, <laughs> went to Washington. And I, I, on behalf of all the dogs out there that are listening to this, I have to do that. That's just my role here. But <laughs> I, I'm assuming we're not going to UCLA. You're going to sign a contract with Arizona and get this thing started, right? You know, nothing's guaranteed, but um, but that's that's my plan is, um, is, is Diamondbacks. You've been ready for this a long time. You've been preparing. I've been reading all about you. You do nothing but play baseball. You don't You don't have a summer. You don't uh, hang out with friends very All you do is run around the country, run around the state, and play nothing but baseball. Have you been that way since you were a little guy? I want to know about the Little League experience. What kind of Little League? Which Little League were you in? And I want to know where those All-Stars went. Did you go anywhere as a Little League All-Star? Uh, so, uh, played for Magnolia, Magnolia Little League and then uh, Queen Anne Little League. So, those are my two Little Leagues. And, you know, we uh, all-stars. We had a pretty good run with Queen Anne. We uh, ended up getting third in state, I think, the the 12U, the, the Little League World Series year. Um, but, no, I mean, thinking back, those are those are the golden days. Those are those are the best times. No state titles as a 13U? Nothing? No, no Williamsport? No nothing like that? No, sir. We uh, <laughs> all, all the people we lost to though, we're uh, we're good buds now. I, I played with them since I was since I was twelve, and 
So they give me crap about that all the time. Have you uh, have you talked to Jake Lamb yet? Superstar, star of the all, uh, of the Diamondbacks who grew up in I don't know. He went to Blanchett. I think he grew up in Queen Anne or Magnolia or somewhere in that that vicinity. Have you had the opportunity to visit with him? Yeah, he uh, he grew up in Queen Anne, and um, I, I played little league with his brother actually. Funny enough, and his dad was super involved too. And he he reached out. He he texted me, and that was that was really cool. Honestly, I had a big smile on my face when I saw that. <laughs> so, who is Corbin Carroll? Give us a sense of who you are. I keep reading Jacoby Ellsbury, and I'm reading all of these legendary stories about hitting a line drive to right field and making a double out of a single, and how how much you hustle and how how quick you are around the base paths. Uh, left left handed hitter or switch hitter? Because I've seen some pictures where it looks like you were swinging right handed. I don't know that you did, but I, I've seen all the videos of you hitting left handed. Give us a scouting report. Play television commentator and give us a scouting report of Corbin Carroll's game. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've had I've had a lot of comps put on me, but um, I'd say I'm just trying to go out there and be Corbin Carroll, um, whatever that looks like, and um, just have an impact in the game in any way I can. And so. Having my goal set and doing that, you know, I'm working every day on on all aspects of my game to try and impact the game at a higher level. Whether it's my speed, my hit tool, my hit for power, you know, whatever it is, I'm just I'm always trying to do that little extra, get that little extra edge every day to succeed. Left-handed throwing center fielder, five nine, five ten. Is that about right? Yes, sir. Five ten. And they say you've got a very quick twitch. Now I've I've seen this. This is like the newest thing in the last few years basketball players who have a quick twitch baseball players have a quick what maybe you can explain that to me because i'm too old and i don't i don't remember anybody ever being described as having a quick twitch what does that mean so quick twitch is basically just that little burst um an initial reaction before like a full contraction of the muscle and so you'll get that little quick twitch that they'll talk about and um you know a lot of my training will be for that that burst um in middle school and all that i used to do long long distance running and sort of that stuff but as i focused in on baseball i, I sort of cut that stuff out and focused my expl- my training on being a bit more explosive you know it strikes me that what you're probably 18 is that right 18 19 yes sir 18 did you i, I hesitate to even ask cuz i don't know i don't know that i want to know the answer to this so i'm going to sit down and brace myself for the answer <laughs> did did you grow up a Seattle Mariners fan? I mean, they didn't have very good teams in your youth. Who who did you pattern your game after? Who did you watch? Who'd you love to watch either on TV or at the ballpark? Of course, definitely grew up a Mariners fan. Being a kid from Seattle, you you got to root for the home, hometown team. And grew up, you know, one of my first memories was was watching Ichiro at a game, and definitely he he was my one of my idols growing up. And then. Who else? I've, I've loved watching D. Gordon, the, the energy he brings to the game, and, and then obviously Diamondbacks too. Though got a um, <laughs> got a got a root on Jake Lamb. Did I see where former Mariner Jeff Cirillo was one of your AAU coaches? Yes, sir. Yep, he coached me ever since I was twelve. He's he's coached me all the way through. Yeah, and what kind of influence has he been on your game? You know, he he's a great guy. Um, he he really cares about all the all the kids he's coached and. You know, I, I think more than anything, I just know I can go to him with, you know, anything I'm dealing with, sort of on and off the field. And he's just sort of, sort of had that impact in my life. But in terms of my game, I guess the biggest thing that he's done for me uh, is really just mentally. He's definitely contributed a lot to the mental side of my game. And, you know, just being a big leaguer for 13 years, he'll point out some things. You're like, oh, you know, I've, I've never really thought about that. And then 
you know, you just sort of implement that in your game and it clicks more and more. And so I'd say the mental side of the game for sure has been his biggest impact on me. Is he, and by the way, this is the voice of uh, Corbin Carroll, the Lakeside Lion who went 16th overall to the Diamondbacks in the first round. What a great accomplishment for this high school player out of Lakeside. I, I'm, I'm wondering whether, and I guess I think I, I think I know the answer to this question. Did you always want to be a baseball player? Did you ever play, did you play other sports or did you know like when you were playing at age nine and 10 and 11, this is what I wanted. Did you fall in love with baseball right out of the gate? And were you good at baseball right out of the, right out of the gate? So I, I played a bunch of different sports growing up, played, uh, Soccer was my other main sport, um, and like I said earlier, cross country, played tennis, um, tried football freshman year, but it, it was really always baseball. I, I've just always loved it, and I think definitely the talent's always been there, and then just developing a work ethic over over the course of my playing career so far has been um, has just furthered that, that talent and, in my opinion, made it into something special. You know, there's this debate, there's this long-standing debate of whether kids these days are playing one sport too much. They're playing all year-round basketball. They're playing all year-round baseball. When I was a kid a, a million years ago, even the great ones, and I was never a great one, but even the great ones at particular sports, they played baseball during baseball season. They played basketball, and then they they hung the mid up. They put the mid in the garage, and they put the bat away until the following baseball season. We didn't we didn't play. We didn't have guys playing sports all year round. And others have said, well, that's just the way it is today. And those that are detractors, Corbin, say, you know, yeah, you can get burned out, and you don't develop other muscle skills. You should be playing all this. Where do you, as a guy who's I I, I gather who's done really nothing but play baseball. Obviously, some of those other sports, but you have really been a year-round baseball player probably since you were 13 years old or 12 years old. What do you say to all that? So actually, that's that's not true. Um, I've I've played all those other sports. I've played especially soccer pretty competitively, and I only started year-round baseball pretty much two years ago. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And even even in that, I've taken this was the first time that I've played ball through the fall this year. In the years in the past, I've taken the time off of baseball just to to get in the weight room and, you know, do all those other sorts of things that I want to do and get right in the classroom. But I think the biggest thing to me is just having fun. I mean, only so many kids are going to go on and, you know, have that career in athletics. But I think just the number of kids who, who play and won't go on is, is definitely greater than the number of kids who, who will go on and play. And so I think just the biggest thing for me is, in my opinion, is if you find one sport and you love it, great. I mean, play all year round, do it. Get get on the field as much as you want to, as you want to. Um, you know, if if you enjoy doing a bunch of different sports, great, go ahead. But just make sure you're having a great time because that's that's really what it's all about. You know, you sound like a really well-adjusted kid. You went to you went to Lakeside for goodness sakes. It's a legendary school. We know how bright all the kids that come out of Lakeside are. And I'm struggling as we finish up this interview. I'm struggling with one thing because for a well-adjusted, smart guy, how did you pick UCLA? As like a as a sophomore, I I I'm struggling with I'm, I I can't understand it. It sounds like you're a really smart guy with a great head on your shoulders. But you, you didn't your dad go to Washington? I mean, how do you say no to the the stadium that's in the in the shadows of where you grew up and where you, where your high school is to go down to Los Angeles to play? Uh, obviously, you're not gonna. Well, it doesn't look like you're gonna do that. But how do you say no to Washington and yes to UCLA? Explain that to me. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, <laughs> funny enough, my dad actually went on after after you died and went to USC. So, um, <laughs> but <laughs> so no, but you know, I, I I really did think for a while it might be um, it might be USC because my dad went there and because Cirillo went there, yep. and then also UW was definitely always in the always in the back of my mind. You know, just being the hometown school and sort of representing the Northwest in that way. But just when I got down to U- UCLA kind of coming away from that visit I just knew for me the biggest thing throughout the process I guess I'd say um, sophomore year was just deciding that my experience would be made by the people especially the coaches that were there and um, coach Savage and coach Ward at, at UCLA are just some of the best coaches and most respected coaches in the field and I think that's really showing now coming to fruition with them having the number one team in the nation and the, I think they're doing a plenty good enough job and UCLA has also got the, the academics as well and been in Westwood, sunny Westwood doesn't hurt it either. All right, you haven't conv- you haven't convinced me. You did a good job. That was a pretty good speech. I did my best. I'll, I'll, gi- my best. I'll give you an A mine. And I didn't even go to Washington. I'm not even from Seattle, but I feel like I feel an allegiance to this area that I had to bust you up a little bit over that choice of UCLA versus Washington. All right. So the final question uh, for Corbin Carroll, who is the 16th overall pick in the first round, right out of Lakeside, right out of Queen Anne Magnolia to the Arizona Diamondbacks. I guess it's the most important question that I can ask, and that is if you sign this contract and forego UCLA, you're going to come into some money, some quick cash for an 18-, 19-year-old guy. I want to know what the first purchase is. Hmm. That's a good question. See, I'm just – I'm really not that kind of impulsive kid, I guess I'd say. I think my parents have, at this point, just kind of hammered into me um, the sort of the importance and the value of money and – you know, I think it honestly might just be a Chipotle bowl. <laughs> I, I, I really do. If you're going to get a Chipotle bowl, are you going chicken? Are you going steak? Would you get a comp? Would you go extra meat? Would you pay the extra $3? Yeah. Would you pay the extra $3 and get the extra portion of meat? Which one is it going to be? <laughs> we're going We're going white rice, uh, pinto beans, double chicken, lettuce pico. <laughs> And that's it. No wheels, no car, no uh, nothing. N- nothing, huh? Just a Chipotle bowl. That's it. Yeah, maybe take my guys out for, for dinner or something, too. Okay. All right. Hey, listen, congratulations. Thanks for being a good sport with me for a few minutes. Um, we all love – I know this podcast is listened to by a lot of people all over the country, but the biggest audience that we have will always be here in the Northwest. And when a kid straight out of a high school in Seattle gets drafted in the first round and has, as I said, a great head on his shoulders and knows the right thing to do and the right thing to say, it it makes us all feel proud. So congratulations. Uh, We wish that you were a member of the Mariners organization, but we'll have to settle for what interleague play every few years when the Diamondbacks (laughs) come to town. Congratulations. Can't wait to see what you do through the minor leagues and cheer for you every step of the way, Corbin. Hey, thanks a ton. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. Corbin Carroll, Lakeside High School, 18 years old, first round draft choice of the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, who's got a youth sports team that's getting ready to end the season? Baseball, softball, spring rec basketball, gymnastics squad, lacrosse club, end of the season party time, right? No place better than Zeke's Pizza. 17 comfy Northwest locations of Zeke's Pizza, and I want pictures. Tweet them or send them to me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I guarantee that the Zeke's Pizza staff, no matter the location, will arrange a perfect afternoon or evening for your team of kids 
and their parents, too. I've probably done it five different times over the years. Dan Black and I are getting together on Tuesday this week to come up with a game plan for Seahawks and Huskies game day viewing parties with me at Zeke's, and I've asked him to help me come up with kind of a plan to take care of those that join me on a regular basis. I love Zeke's Pizza for lots of reasons, too many to mention, but what I will always remember is their support of me back in the radio days and now with this podcast. So I ask you to consider supporting them. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, final segment of episode 43. Um, Three interviews. You were busy. That was great. It was amazing. You had a sandwich while I did a few interviews. I found a couple beers in the garage, too, Uh, so thank you for that. That You're more than welcome to raid the refrigerator. Appreciate it. Uh, We've got a few of them here. So... Uh, there's a couple of loose ends. I've got a U.S. Open pick. I don't even know why I'm going to do this because everybody's been making fun of me because I can't even pick a guy who makes the cut, let alone wins. But I feel on this, the final show before the U.S. Open begins on Thursday and we're running this big contest, that I ought to give a pick. So real quickly, I'm going to give you a pick. Great. Now, the caveat is, and I did say this the last time, but people don't forget. People seem to forget. They 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 have kind of, what what is it? Um, selective memory. Selective memory, yeah. right. Yeah, I hear that all the time around yeah, the house. Yeah, selective sure memory. too. I'm not going to pick the obvious people, okay? okay. Brooks Kepka's obvious. Uh, Tiger Woods is obvious. Dustin Johnson always plays well at Pebble Beach. He's obvious. Rory McIlroy shot like 42 uh, over the weekend to win a tournament. He's obvious. I'm not going it, to – it's too easy to pick one of those guys. I'm speaking to the people that are trying to catch up in this contest. If you are one of the 23 that both picked – the winner of the Masters and the U.S. in the PGA Championship, you're probably going to go with one of those four guys. Yeah, Yeah, because you're in position to win. I'm not talking to the – I'm talking to the other people that want to catch up with somebody a little. little. And I'll just probably throw out a a couple of names that you've never heard of. Great. All right? You've already done that with five of them. (laughs) The two names that I've got are Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Come on. Yes, I'm not making those names up. And I decided I was trying to decide which one I was going to go with. So I decided I would take the one that's that's from California. If there's one from California or close that kind of maybe knows Pebble Beach better than the other real handicapping going on. here. So before you came, I looked them up and one's from Long Beach, California, and one's from San Diego, California. So So, you have to go down. You have to extrapolate it further. It's got beach in the name. Pebble Beach. Yes. So I have decided (laughs) I have decided to go with Xander. My official pick that's not one of the big four or five. I mean, it's easy to go with one of the big four. Yeah. I'm going with Xander Shoffley for the record. Okay. That's my U.S. Open pick for the uh, the unfiltered majors challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Club. The other thing that I'll mention, I know you've got something on your list or a couple things on your list you'd like to talk about. Um, and one of them is refers to a story that I've told on a previous oh, episode. Yeah. One of my, and I referred to it, I think, in uh, the tease section of this episode. I even asked you on Twitter about it because I wasn't sure if if that was the most embarrassing moment in oh, your broadcasting God. history, and then you confirmed it. I was so mad. I Why? Because I thought you'd forgotten about it, or you'd why had are you mad? Are you were you you were part of it? I I was a big. I think you're remembering it incorrectly, so we'll get into okay, it. All right. I just can't believe it's still the most embarrassing moment in your broadcast. Well, you ta- well you talked about your buddy Mike Gastineau. I did, and yes. something that I read that's hysterical. Okay. In the sports world, actually reminded me a little bit of the day that I saw Mike Gastineau more angry or angrier than I've ever seen him. Really? Yes. I have yes. a couple angry Gastineau, <laughs> but I'm curious if I'm curious if where yours fits in. So you are aware that this. the Stanley Cup Finals is going on. Do you know that the St. Louis Blues? 
We're going to have hockey here in Seattle. Yep. I don't know much about hockey. I grew up in Florida. Same. But I know that the Stanley Cup Finals, and I read, you know, the St. Louis Blues were in position to win the series when we recorded this on Sunday night. They didn't. The Bruins won, and now there's going to be a Game 7. Yep. By mistake, a letter was published by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on Sunday where St. Louis Blues owner Tom Stillman thanks his fans after the elation of breaking through and bringing Stanley Cup to St. Louis for the first time ever. Wow. He had written the thing, and they ran it by mistake before, and then they went out on Sunday night and (laughs) lost. And and so they immediately it was on a, it was on the web it was on the ditch they grabbed it and they, but people had already taken of screenshots. We talked about earlier 2019. You can't yeah. do one thing wrong. And they, so they actually wow. he was thanking fans for the great run to the Stanley <laughs> Cup and they haven't won anything yet. And it got me to thinking of the famous or the infamous Mike Gastineau moment. I'm ready for this. Which he won't appreciate me telling, but he doesn't hear these things, so I'm sure that no one will even tell him okay. that I even told the story. But what I was doing, I can't remember. We were in, we were in the Queen, the first studio. So it was, I don't know what. It must have been ninety. I must have just gotten here. Okay. And he was, um, I don't know if he would agree with this. He was a little tough on me when I first got to town. You're the new kid. It's understandable. Yeah, he was a little. He was a young a little, guy. He wasn't. He wasn't taking any of this, this East Coasters guff. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, and he and he was tough on me. I remember a couple of different incidents. It doesn't matter. But I was doing. Um, I was doing the morning show. Okay. And he, I think I was doing, yeah, I'm pretty, no, maybe I was doing the midday show, but he, the the Dolphins were playing, I think it was the Dolphins against the Seahawks in a playoff game. Yes, that was 1999. Okay, no, then I got it wrong. Okay. Then I got it. I definitely got it wrong because it's a lot earlier than 99. Okay. Anyway, there was something going on. Maybe it was a play, maybe it was a, it was a, a Mariners playoff game. Anyway, and we used to do promos that we put on carts. Oh, yes. Do you remember? Do I remember? Yeah. That would run in other shows. Hey, this is Mike Gastineau. Be sure to join us. So right. and so so and so. And so, so on, uh-huh. on on Friday, not knowing what the result of this particular event was going to be, you do cut you remember both the, versions? He cut both versions, but you got to get the right one in. So he's got cart, <laughs> and he made it very clear instead of the cart. If Mariners win or if Mariners lose, play this one. If yep. Mariners win, and, and and you know, hey, Mike Gastineau, hey, how about the man? <laughs> or hey, I'm so sorry that they lost. You know, the, yeah. you know, and he did both did both versions and sure. then left for the weekend. Well, I come in the smart ass than I am on Monday, and they had lost whoever the local team that was playing had lost. It was the Seahawks and the Mariners, and I decided to play the other one <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and he happened to hear it, or oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so everybody's everybody was pissed <laughs> off and sad that our local team had lost, and I've got I keep rerunning. Hey, <laughs> what so what happened did he storm in or did he yeah, call or yeah he called the uh, the general manager at the time uh and he called a meeting he came came storm called a meeting yeah he called a meeting that's serious he came in he came in he wasn't due to come in at that particular point as i recall now if he hears this version of the story maybe he'll say like every like my wife says your your memory is wrong it's about always this. different yeah everyone's got uh, their but own i version. but i think this is right he was he was very very upset he was very, very upset, and, and probably understandably so. Yeah, understand. and we played the uh, we played the other one. 
I thought it was fun. I've known him for a long time, and I love the guy. I do. I love Mike Gastineau. He, I've known him forever. Yeah. I, a few times I've seen that switch get flipped. Yeah. Not necessarily at me. I can't think of any. He may have a different story yeah. or a different. Yeah. When the switch gets flipped, yeah. which is rare, it got flipped and broken, <laughs> broken off. He pulled this. <laughs> he yeah. went to eleven and he broke was, it off. He was absolutely livid. And I think back, thinking back upon it, I just keep asking myself, what would I have done if the roles were reversed? Mm-hmm. And I would have probably laughed. No, Come on. No, no, I probably would have been. <laughs> no I would have, way. I would, you have been, I would have been pissed. You would have been hot. Yeah. Yes. But I thought it was fun. It was fun. We were all laughing. That's hilarious. Our, I wonder if I was working with you. I, I don't it was. It was in that first studio. Okay. So I want to say it was not. I, it may have been my first. I may have been doing the midday show at the time. Okay. Maybe a little was, before me. You know, everybody's upset that they oh, lost. Geez. And he's like, hey, hey, how do you like it? They won it. I can't believe it. What a great. And he's like, what a great performance. It was oh, unbelievable. And you just, you pulled back the curtain for everybody and exposed us all. You rat. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, one, one of my it. favorite angry Mike Gastineau lines ever. Remember, we used to have to sit in these cockamamie meetings with the Sonics people, and we'd have to come up with a slogan for the playoffs. No. Okay, yeah, I'm sure you didn't go into it. But we, we're, the rest of us no. civilians had to do that. You know, you were out <laughs> playing Pebble Beach with your buddies. So there's uh, four guys from the Sonics with suits on sitting there with yeah. clipboards yeah. and a bunch of radio guys with right. like hooded sweatshirts and you know right. sweatpants. Right. Trying to come up with a slogan, like, not in our house or whatever it was. After an hour of coming up with nothing, the gas man stands up, hits the table. Somebody in a tie make a decision. <laughs> I'm like 21. I was like, you can't speak to people this way, can you? I loved it. It's the my favorite thing I've uh, ever heard in a meeting. Somebody in a tie make a decision because these four stiffs from the Sonics are sitting there. Oh, great. I, I love Mike. Hilarious. All right. So on an earlier podcast, you wanted to bring up, you got you got the floor. The floor is yours before we finish. Well, I have a, a couple of stories. Well, we want to talk about Sean McDonough's story. Yeah. I think I told, I'm pretty sure I told this McDonough story. It's probably my most... Um, you know, I don't know. It was a really bad moment in my profession. My my least favorite professional moment oh. in my Seattle life, Look, definitely. Th- this because is- you got to understand that Sean McDonough, for people who don't know, mm-hmm. a terrific guy, a terrific player, the, the son of Will McDonough, who was a legendary, right. and yeah. and by the way, is legendary with his columnist friends. He's he's gone for a long time, but because he threatened, I, not he threatened, he picked up a New England Patriot and put him in his locker. A columnist picked up, right? as opposed to How the other way. How big was the columnist? <laughs> he was Will McDonough. I mean, yeah. he was he's just a hard ass, and columnists loved him. He's the son. He, I mean, he's just a terrific guy, yeah. a terrific broadcaster. And I really, he went to Syracuse before <sighs> me, and I just, I, I wouldn't say that I idolize him. I always had the utmost respect for him. So when this incident happened, which people, I mean, I could, we could tell it, or we could not. I guess we have to tell it well, again. I want to give my version because now yeah. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if I don't have it right. Right. You were at the Super Bowl. No. I- you were somewhere on remote. I was at Sahali at the PGA Championship. Is that what it was? Okay. And I guess it would have been 1998. Seven. 97. 97. When VJ Singh won it? Maybe it was 98. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, VJ Singh important. won it. That's right. That's you right. Were, you were on... Uh, hey, by the way, that was very good. Uh, see? I did do sports How'd you radio do that? for a little while. How'd you do that? Pretty amazing. And you don't know that uh, that 18 at Pebble Beach goes left to right? <laughs> no, like I said, it goes to left, right to left. Okay, go ahead. So... Maybe I maybe I have the story wrong then because you definitely I know this this one I don't mess up the story <laughs> this one I don't mess the up the story I have is that Sean McDonough was there and he was sort of walking around kind of wanting people who were broadcasting to ask him to come on the show is that right like he was sort of we didn't book him as a guest I have it all wrong well 
Wasn't uh, wasn't it Wink Shapiro at that point? Yes. Okay. So okay, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I as I recall, as I recall it, in the days and weeks leading up to the PGA Championship in Seattle, yep. I would say, like I always would, I would s- talk to the producers about what I wanted to do going out there, who I wanted to interview, and I recall distinctly saying to the producers and whomever, here's the list of guys. Now, Sean McDonough, for as great a broadcaster, kind of a legendary broadcaster in my mind he was, he only did golf at the PGA Championship. He was not on the normal golf team of CBS. So when we talked about it earlier in the week or a week or two earlier, I said, call CBS, call Leslie Ann Wade, I know her a long time, and ask her for one of the any one of the main golf guys the main guys, yeah. not the guys that are that come on just for the PGA Championship. And I think it was Wink. I think it yes, was Wink Shapiro. I don't know. It doesn't matter anymore. But whoever it was said, okay, okay, okay. And then I went out and I did the show. And Wink or you said to me down the line that Sean McDonough is going to sit down with you in our next segment. And I was pissed I was pissed because you made it clear you didn't want. I that really didn't want that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted Gary McCord. Yeah, yeah. I wanted. I, I wanted Ken Venturi. I wanted Jim Nance. I was just being an idiot. It, 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 Sean McDonough was fine. Yeah. But I didn't want that. So I was like, I, 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 I thought I told you, Wink. I thought I told you that I wanted one of the main golf guys. Yeah. And then, maybe it was you, it who was said. In the then, then we did another segment, and then he sat down. That's the problem. He sat. And no down. one told me. Well, and nobody is, knew. Nobody knew right, that he no, sat down. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. I knew because I was on, on location. Right. He sits down. He puts on the headset, oh, and we're about was me. Th- about about four about a minute from going on the air. Either you or Wink. Oh no, I think it was you. Yep. And you said Wink wants to know, or you, Jimmy wants to know, what the hell's your problem with Sean McDonough, and wh- why don't you want Sean McDonough? Yeah. And he's sitting there yeah, listening. He's got the headphones on. He can yeah. hear everything. Everything. Yeah. And, and do, I, do you remember I what just, you said? No. You blocked it out. Do you know what I said? Yeah, sure. I remember. You said, uh, what? Sean McDonough. We have everybody on this show. We love Sean McDonough. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody, you wouldn't take anyone. <laughs> we, we love everybody. We have everybody on this show. Yeah, you. You got to understand what I. Of course, I, mean, I was. This sweating. is a guy that I have admired. He went to Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. And he, he did World Series and he did, yeah. you know, he, he was a, he's a terrific. And a guy that I, I didn't know well, but I knew enough to, to not call my friend, but he takes, as soon as he oh. hears that, he takes his headsets off. No way. Yes. I don't know that part. Yeah. He takes his headsets off. We're, we oh. haven't got on the air yet. This is hurting And he me. says to me, let me know, are we, do you still want to do this? It's okay. He was unbelievable. Oh, what a good guy. Okay. He says, you want to do this? I, I, you know, let me know. I'm happy to. Yeah. Do. And he was oh, like, God. he didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I said, of course. It? And of course. And he puts oh. his headsets back on and we do the segment. And I will, ne- I will, you know, I will go to my grave remembering that day. Oh, that hurts me. That See, day. That day. I just the miscommunication. Yeah, it's a miscommunication. And I had known leaning, leading up to that that you, you just didn't want him for whatever reason. Nothing personal. I, no, I, no. Yeah, yeah. So I, I knew you didn't want him on, but he was kind of hanging around. I think Jimmy was trying to maybe talk you into it. He, he's here. It'd be easy. We could just yeah. get him. Yeah. You're like, no, nah, I don't feel the, it's not right. It just, right. Uh, you know, whatever. Let's try right. to get somebody. That's probably else. right. That could be right. Yeah. So, so I had. Same story though, right? But yeah, but the, so I had him in my head as a guy who's definitely not coming on. That's what I had in my head. And then he sits down unbeknownst to me because I'm in the studio. I can't see anything. No, no. 
And I think I was probably just trying to make small talk and just be like, hey, is that McDonough guy still? No, the words were, Jimmy wants to know what your problem is with Sean McDonough. Those were the exact words because that's that's when he took his headset off. Oh. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Of course, and, we and love then, everybody. And then, and then the bumper music comes out. Like, <laughs> okay, back with Sean McDonough here at the uh, it's, uh, one no. of the show's favorites. I Sean McDonough. You, there's nobody I'd rather see. How are you, Sean? <laughs> I'm doing great, Mitch. How are you oh, doing? Oh. Awful. Is that that's number one most number embarrassing? One. Really, number one. And it didn't help that he was that a and Jim Abbott. And, Jim Abbott. Yeah, Jim Abbott. That that's a tough one. Yeah. Oh so. God. The, the, the one other story real quick I was going to tell. Do you remember having Lee Steinberg in the studio? I remember. Yeah. Do you remember he was trying to I also s- remember having – I remember – I'm going to tell a story that I don't want to make – I don't want to cry, but go ahead. There was a, there's an actually another story. Uh, I remember what the first week of my morning show. You know, I did the midday show for a year. Yeah. And I'm, t- I'm sorry I'm taking you somewhere That's else okay. here. Was that a year you did that? I did a, the midday show for oh, a year. Okay. From January 95 to March of 96. I did the, in, in New York, New York, Vinny and Michael Knight did the morning show. And they started coming to ask me to do it like six or months after I got there or it's eight months. And I was not getting up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then uh, my, my agent at the time threatened, I'll never talk to you again <laughs> right. if you don't do Take this. Take the money, You're dummy. doing this. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants to do morning drive. You're doing this. Right. So my, I was very nervous. I didn't really want to be there at six o'clock, five thirty in the morning. Yeah, I, the the whole thing was just very uncomfortable to me. And I remember one of my very first guests the first week was Robert Shapiro. Yeah, I remember him coming in. Sure, I remember it vividly. And it, the, the O.J. Simpson thing was fresh. Right, it was like two years ago. And he's good doing a tour, like a, a book tour. Yeah. And I remember calling my dad. Yeah, you were very nervous for that interview. So you remember this? Yeah, I remember you I remember your dad. calling my yeah. dad and say, me. you know, my dad was an attorney yep. and I and he followed it very closely and I said, "Can you help me? Can you help me?" And he gave me a little bit of help, but he said, "Just follow your heart. You're going to be great. You're going to be great." He gave me a little but not much. Yeah. And I did the interview with Robert Shapiro. I was nervous out of my mind. Yeah, I know you were. And I know my father was listening and um, Robert Shapiro, and I, 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 this is part I, I, I don't really want to share, but Robert Shapiro made a comment to me as we walked out. He said, he said, um, OJ did it. No, no, he said, I've been, this is the last, this is one of the last stops on my tour, and I've been on a lot of shows. And those were the best questions. Oh, great. He, he gave me the, like the, the greatest, an attorney who was in the middle of it all. And I knew my dad was listening, yeah, the other yeah. attorney, and I'm feeling very insecure about whether I'm going to ask the right <laughs> questions. And he just made the nicest comment, oh, I mean, the great. nice remark, and that's what I remember. So go ahead. Well, see what Steinberg. happens when you prepare? You do well. I, <laughs> the, the 20 <laughs> other years of cockamamie interviews, you should have actually put some Tell your in. buddies that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they already love you enough. So Lee Steinberg, at the time, was like the Jerry Maguire, wasn't it? I mean, he was the agent to the stars in the oh, NFL, yeah. right? He had them all. Oh, yeah. Probably Marino, big, big. Jim Kelly. No, not Marino. Really? Didn't have Marino? No. But I feel Marvin like he had De- all. Marvin Demoff had Marino, but go ahead. You would know, okay. of course. Yes. But he was the biggest yes. name Huge. in rep- – And then he went He went, He went. went south. You know, he had some real personal problems. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. I just remember – And then he's recently – you know who he made a comeback with? Who? As an aside? Patrick Mahomes. Oh, is that he right? He was out of the, the – the, the Jerry Maguire, the Lee Steinberg, the, the king of yeah, all football king. agents – he he was an alcoholic, and he oh. wrote a book, and he was went through depression. He lost uh, everything. He lost everything, lost and everything. then and then he came back. He came back with Patrick Mahomes. Good for him. I'm glad he he's about on to sign team. Patrick Mahomes to a forty-five million dollar year contract. Go ahead. He so was printing me. money. So what's at the, the time. what's the story that you remember? He was trying to quit smoking. Do you remember this at all? 
No. And I remember it because I, I was someone who would occasionally chew tobacco. Just stupid. Whatever. I chewed for a while. What is it that you keep popping oh, in your mouth uh, during the podcast? nicotine lozenges. Because I've quit chewing like seven years ago. And so you have to use these things. Otherwise, you still feel it, huh? Yeah. Do you want one? No. Do you want to get a case of the sweats? Or are no, you good? no, no, no. Okay. No. Um, so Lee Steinberg's tried to quit smoking. All right. Now, I think the interview was at like 7 a.m., which is insanely early for a 21-year-old, 22-year-old. I'm probably a little hungover. Who knows? I'm feeling a little nauseous anyway. Whatever. Yeah. It's early. He comes in, and he's, he's chewing tobacco. You don't remember that. I can't believe you don't remember this. No. And I said to his guy, like, he chews. That's interesting because he's like an older guy. You know, and he says, yeah, he's trying to quit smoking. So there's two kinds of chewing tobacco. One is easy to kind of make compact into a little, like a little ball. The other one is like trying to make sand into a little ball. It's, it's a little more, it's grainy. He has this thing in his lip and it's swimming around in there and I can hear it. And you hear it talking like this. On the radio. Yes, on the radio. I would oh. love to hear that back. I have it somewhere. I'm trying not to gag. But I can't play it. Because he's got this chewing tobacco swimming around in his mouth. I'm thinking, oh God. This is the biggest agent in all of football. He yeah. can't handle yeah. putting How'd a that chew in go? his lip. How'd that interview go? I, I couldn't even listen. It was yeah. grossing yeah. me out. Yeah, it was an awful interview, was it? Oh, was it? Tell know. your buddies. There's <laughs> an off, There's another example of an awful interview. They're all wrong, And yes. you just remember that You're you just remember. And were you chewing at the time? I think I was, which is yeah. why I sort of dialed into it. Like, <laughs> dude, you got to figure this out here. And he wasn't even spitting. He was holding it. And, oh, I wanted to gag. So that's that's one great interview that I remember from the past was Lee Steinberg. Because I looked up to him. He's a big star. He had everybody. Yeah. He can't yeah. figure out chewing. Yeah. Can't, can't, couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. All right. So that's it. We're, we're done? We're, we're good. done. All right. I, did you enjoy it? I loved it. Will you come back? Of course I will. Will, will. you do it again? I got a lot of... I've, Brought a lot of uh, soccer stuff for you. Today's hit music stuff. All the stuff you remember from your past. I'm ready to roll. I do next have a thing you're gonna say. Next thing you're gonna say is Seafair stuff. <laughs> oh <gonna> God! <laughs> Where do I park? I better have a parking pass. Where am I parking? God. <laughs> oh, we'll get into that one day. Oh. Seafair. Did you? You said you what have is this <laughs> Seafair thing. Why do I have to go? Where am I gonna park? It was always about parking. God, you're airing me out. All right, that's it. We're good. So well, I have so, me. I uh, I, so I have to name the show. Okay. So I, my my temptation is to is to name it Jack Sigma, episode Jack. It's forty three. He's going to. in the Hall of Fame. Right. And he's a friend. He's very good to me. He's been he's been really good to me in the last year and a half, two years. And you remember that. You remember the guys that reach out and say, "Hey, I'm not running in the opposite direction. Whatever's going on in your world, you know that you have a friend." He was one of the very first people who texted That's me. Good that. to hear. And and I will always. I will always remember that, and because of that, I am not naming the, the Richard show. Petty. It is. It's <laughs> going to be Richard Petty. It's Richard He's the Petty, king. He and I don't know it. anything about Richard Petty. But here's what I do know: if you listen to episode 42, then you know that Jack Sickman and I played in a member-member golf tournament a week and a half ago. I heard, and you know you that it, yourself, that yeah. that in the on, on the 16th hole of the best ball day. He decided he had to go to the baseball game, and he put his fist out, and he said, good luck. You got it from here on in. I know you're going to be great, and he left. You're on your own. He left me in the middle of the best ball. Don't most teams have, like, four guys? No, two guys. Oh, it's always two. Okay. Well, not always, but in this case, it's two. All right. And and that became one. (laughs) And and while, while I'll never hold it against him because he's a good friend, and I love him dearly, and I can't wait till he goes into the Hall of Fame Labor Day weekend. He deserves it. He should have gone in. Well, I'll never blame that on him. That was just enough to push the king. (laughs) Just enough. Just enough to push the king to the top. So, as we like to say, 
episode Richard Petty yes. is now in the books. <laughs>